0: Joe
1: Rogan podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan
2: experience.
0: Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day.
2: Hello, Dave Hello, Joe Rogan. Good to see you, my friend. You too. Always good to be here.
0: <laughs> you have an air of seriousness about you, like you pre- prepared yourself for this conversation. <laughs> We've been fucking around all night last night, <laughs> having a good time. Now I have to transition. Now you, like, you, there was an immediate shift. I can see you're like, all right. Here it is. Well, I'm, a lot you know. Of shit going on.
2: Well, we got a, a brand new war to end. So uh, yeah. it's, you know, got to be a, so, what, when, when I first started coming on your podcast, what was I, I just measured it in how many wars ago that was. I think, what was that? How many wars ago was that? We were that? still in Afghanistan back uh-huh. then. So we did get out of one. We did get out of one. Sort of. We did it in flawless fashion. Um, but, uh, that's, uh, but yeah, no, that is true. We did end one and then I think we took like a two week break before we, uh, got into Ukraine <laughs> and then, uh, and now, now there's th- this, one is pretty serious and, uh, the, there's a, a big possibility of like a wider war, uh, being started.
0: So pretty bad. Not great. No, not great. It scares the shit out of me. I've brought it up many times, but when when I really get uh, anxiety, is like late at night when I'm alone. I think about the world like that at any moment. It could just go haywire. Like, think about October 7th, right? It happens out of nowhere. one, One day, everything changes, right? That can happen anywhere. That can happen right here. And people thinking that it can't, and then people that are just not even inquisitive about anything that interferes with their narrative. Not even thinking, okay, what, what is the big picture here? What is actually going on? I know this side says one thing and the other side says another thing. So someone's got to be wrong. So what is happening? Either Israel is evil or Hamas is totally evil. You can't be. There's a lot going on right for sure there's a lot going on yeah. but but this binary thinking that everybody has in our culture today where people we automatically subscribe to whatever one side thinks like if you're on the right you automatically subscribe to whatever the right wing people think if you're on the left, you automatically subscribe to whatever the left we feel. Which wars are we supporting? And they're different, different sides are supporting yeah. different wars, which is very strange, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Like,
0: it's binary thinking that people
2: just fall into, but war is the worst of it. A war makes people so stupid. I mean it's like the way they talk about these things like you said it's like the side of pure good versus the side of pure bad. It's like a 7-year-old boy playing with action figures. Like this is good guy, this is bad yeah. guy. And reality is almost never anything like that. It's always enormously more complex than that. And um I think that's, you know, that's the truth with the history of of Israel and Palestine is that it's not and I'm I'm Jewish so like I I grew up very much just only hearing the Israeli side of the story. And it it's basically you can still get this in a Ben Shapiro video, you know, that millions Uh. of people watch. But it really will. Their story is just kind of like, all right, the Jews uh, came here and we just said, hey, we want to be independent. And then in response to that, the all the Arab nations attacked us, and then we just keep offering you peace and they just keep saying no. And they just want you know, we just want to live in peace and they just want to kill Jews. And that's the story. And there's nothing else that you need to know. That's relevant here. But that's just so not true. There's so much more to it than that. And if you're going to tell this story and you want to zoom out and really understand what's going on here, it's just if, if you're going to ignore the fact that the creation of Israel involved kicking a whole lot of people, out of where they were living at the time and had been living for hundreds of years. Um 750,000 Palestinian Arabs were were kicked out of their land. They many of them were forced out, many of them uh fled and then were never allowed to come back. And then and this was in 47. So so in and well it started in 1947. Um so uh and let, let me just say by the way and I'll just do this quickly, but I just like like a disclaimer, which I never did when we were talking about all the Ukraine stuff. Because, uh, you know, like when I – the last few times I've been on the podcast, we talked about the war in Ukraine a lot. And I totally opposed America and, and uh, American involvement. And I put a lot of blame on America and NATO for kind of provoking the the war and continuing the war. And all types of people who disagree with me, they say, uh, like, you're a Putin supporter. Or, you're spewing Russian propaganda. Right. But I never felt the need to kind of be like – No, by the way, I'm not a Putin, you know, agent or something, because it's just so stupid. There's like no Americans are sworn loyal to Vladimir Putin. There's zero people like that. But there are actually people who hate Jews. And so just to be clear, that's not my perspective at all. I actually know I love love Jewish people. I, I actually like, I love Israelis. I think there's lots of cool things about their society. And what I'm saying, if I say like, hey, the way you got your land was really fucked up and you kill a lot of innocent people, that's nothing I wouldn't say about my own government as well, right. and I love America. So just as the first disclaimer
0: there. Uh, I know a guy who actually did move to Russia. and All right, food. fine, so there's one. but <laughs> Jeff Monson, he was an MMA fighter. Oh yeah, he fought Tim Sylvia, right? Mm-hmm. He fought a bunch of people, yeah. fought Chuck Liddell, um, he fought Fedor, and he uh, oh, yeah. he moved to Russia. Really? Speaks Russian, yeah. Okay. All right. So I overstated my case a little bit. <laughs> there's Jeff Munson.
2: Nobody <laughs> He's else. He's got though. a hammer
0: and sickle tattoo. Okay.
2: All right. So there's there might be an exception. He's a uh, wild fellow. Um, no, but so you said so. Yeah. So in 1947, and this is uh, like right in the aftermath of of World War II, and the British Empire uh, was basically crumbling, and they had been they had been ruling the territory of Palestine under a, a mandate, and so. They basically uh, washed their hands of the situation. The, the, there had been issues for years already. Um, and they kicked it over to the United Nations. And the United Nations was a brand new organization, or like a year old, or something like that. And um, they, they had no authority to like create states out of nowhere. They just, it was a recommendation. They go, we recommend this partition plan that would have given uh, 56% of the land to the Jews for a Jewish state. And 44 percent of the land to the Arabs to have an Arab state, and at the time the Jews, uh, the Zionist settlers there, they owned about 10 percent of the land, and so this recommendation was that they get 56 percent of the land, and so immediately the the Zionist settlers accepted. They went, yes, great deal, we'll take 56 percent of this, and the Arabs were like, no, that's not a fair deal at all, and then. Pretty immediately after that, there's a great book uh, by Sheldon Richmond called Coming to Palestine, if you're interested in the topic and you want to see. But immediately after that, a bunch of essentially like Zionist militias started kicking Arabs off of the land. Like, hey, the U.N. said this part's ours. And like at first a civil war broke out. And in this process... Hundreds of thousands. I mean, between 1947 and 1948, the total number is around 750,000 Arabs who were forced out or or fled. And then in 1948, Israel declared independence. And then as a response to that, outside Arab nations invaded, got involved in the fight. Israel won. And then after Israel won the war, they seized about 80% of the land. So they were they were offered 54% or recommended 54%. They won a war, and then they just took 80% of it. And then in 1967, so this is in 1948, then, uh, but at that point, at, at the end of the war, the, the portion that is the, pa- the Palestinian territories today, that was the West Bank and East Jerusalem, that was controlled by uh, Jordan, and Gaza was controlled by Egypt. And then in 1967, Israel launched a preemptive war, and uh, they won again. And then they just took 100% of it. And then they just took control of the West Bank, all of Jerusalem, and Gaza. And they've had it ever since. Jeez. They won a war in 1967, and they've occupied these territories ever since. And the Palestinians in these areas have jo- – they just have no rights. They have no natural rights. They have no- they're just nothing. Like they are – the uh, government of Israel, um, they – for most of the time, they were literally occupying it with, with the IDF, like of like, not worse than martial law, because it's like a foreign military, like foreign occupation. Um, and th- they've always maintained control of everything that goes in and out, what supplies, how much food, how much water, how much electricity, all of these things. And look, it's just, if you're going to talk about this situation, as so many people do, like so many people in like Ben Shapiro's camp, they talk about this conflict talk about october 7th and just leave all of that out and, and and if you do that you're just not really having a conversation about what's going on here you know what i mean like you can right. you can never really like grapple with the situation if you don't at least acknowledge that this is what's going on and then they just get sucked into like the dumb george w bush You know they hate us for our freedom, and you know all that. And and you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. It's the same mentality of that. You either can, you're either against Hamas or you're, you know, for Hamas or something like that, which is pretty stupid.
0: Isn't it fascinating that on two occasions, nine eleven and in October seven, there's an initial response from the world like anger, outrage, horrific scenes, and then. Because of the attack and the response to the attack, then most young people now... Like, when I was in New York City uh, two weeks ago for the UFC, and there was the Free Palestine March. It's wild, dude. I mean, the fucking streets were filled with people. It looked very organized. And uh, they attacked the UFC bus, and they slashed the tires of the bus while Robbie Lawler and Jamal Hill were on that bus. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently... There was a thing where they were blocking traffic, and the bus tried to get through before they got there, and they got angry at the bus, and so they attacked the bus and smashed windows and slashed tires. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. so lucky that Jamal Hill and Robbie Law didn't get off that bus and just start putting people into orbit. Dude, I don't know how many protesters it would take to beat up those two zero, guys. They, but you have zero chance. It's, Jamal? It's a lot. Dude, Jamal can crack. That's a big fella too. Yeah, he's a big fella, and he can crack. People are running from him. He's going (laughs) to crack one or two people, and everyone's going to run. Yeah, probably. Yes, one hundred percent. My money is on the professional. Someone's going to recognize Robbie Lawler. Yeah, someone's going to recognize him, Yeah, and they're going to realize, oh my god, these are UFC fighters, and they go, there's two of them. Oh my god! And then you're going to realize, like, who else is on the bus? Let's get the fuck out of here.
2: Yeah. No. Well, look. It's uh, probably for the best for those protesters that it didn't go down that way. But yeah, it's been pretty. Look, look the protests and it's it's global. I mean, they've been all they're over huge. the world and in huge, huge numbers.
0: Now, let me ask you this: How do they get organized?
2: You know, the, I I don't know. Um, I really don't know the answer to that. And it does seem they're in large enough numbers that it seems hard to believe they're 100% organic. You know, like there's mm-hmm. something there. I'm sure people do feel passionately about this subject, but it is, uh, you know, it's pretty, um, I, I, I don't know, I haven't seen any good reporting on like tracing like the money or like where it's coming from, but I'd, I'd be interested to see that. But I do think that there is like, the, there are, look, October 7th was, uh, was a huge you know, horrifically awful uh, terrorist attack, but it was a big one. Like Hamas has never pulled anything like this off before. This has never been pulled off, I don't think, in the history of Israel. Something on this scale, and the response to it is also something that is like, like Israel's never done before. And so the the thing is just so kind of horrible and right in everybody's face that I do think, at least to some degree, there is an organic, you know, reaction
0: to it. And Elon had a very good point. He said. How many with these people die? How many more future members of Hamas are they creating? Yeah, because of these attacks.
2: There's a uh, there's a great clip of uh, Pat Buchanan, and it's a it was like around 15 years ago or something like that. He was it was uh, like debating on MSNBC uh, with some uh, with with some other guy like a pro Israeli guy, and he just, he made that point. Where he was like, because something had just happened, like Israel just did a, a raid or a bombing campaign, and some some innocent, you know, uh, Palestinians died. And he was uh, he was just saying he was like, who are the like uh, like a little girl died or something like that? And he was like, who are the brothers and the nephews and the cousins of that girl going to grow up to be? Yeah. And you know the like if you look at the timing of it, they're probably right around the age of the the Hamas fighters there. And you know that's not, of course, to justify. Terrorism at all because it's never justified to go kill uh, target innocent civilians, but you do have to understand where we're kind of trapped in this cycle Where when some of our people die, we want to go kill some of their people And then we kill some of their people so they want to come kill some of our people and then and back and forth and back and forth Yeah, Um, and that's the you know the awful thing about all of these wars on terrorism is that they always just become, and you can see it, look, this is what Hamas, this was the whole point of it, too, right? It's like, this is now the best propaganda and recruiting tool that Hamas has ever had. Because now they get, they, look, they, terrorism is almost always about trying to provoke a reaction. Like, this is why Osama bin Laden did 9 11, is that he knew he couldn't, like, militarily defeat the United States of America, but he thought he could pull the same trick on us that we taught him to play on the Russians and get us to invade Afghanistan and bankrupt ourselves. And so, what do you think Hamas? Look, uh, Hamas pulled off a fairly sophisticated attack. I mean, they came by, like, land, sea, and air. They took out the Israeli surveillance, which is supposed to be the big, you know, the greatest surveillance system in, in the world. Um, And they pulled this off. Does anyone think that they didn't expect an Israeli response from this? It's like, no, of course, they knew exactly what Israel would do. And this is what they were trying to provoke them to do. Because Hamas doesn't care about innocent Palestinians dying. But what they wanted was to turn, you know, the world against Israel and particularly turn the, the Muslim world. I mean, not that it takes much to turn them against it, but to really put pressure on some of these other governments who had, you know, signed on to the Abraham Accords. Um, which basically was y- using U.S. tax dollars to buy off these other Arab countries to sell out the Palestinians. So w- the basically for for years the uh, these other Arab countries w- like wouldn't recognize Israel wouldn't normalize relations with Israel because they were sitting there saying like, Hey, this is totally unfair. Like you, you kicked all of these people out and you don't really have a right to this land. And they are, they need to be, you know, treated with whatever given independence or, or something like that. And so we won't normalize relations with you. And then basically Trump's plan and Israel's plan was like, well, how about we just bribe you to normalize relations with Israel, even though we're not giving the Palestinians their freedom. And he got a bunch of them to sign on to it. And so for the Palestinians, this was like, I mean, you could almost imagine the hopelessness. Cause now this was kind of your only hope that someone else was going to catch your back. And now everybody's basically agreed like, yeah, look, you're never getting your state. You're never getting your independence. We're never going back to 67 borders. You're just, this is life forever. And like- Like an
0: open air prison.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know people get people like get upset about that characterization
0: and I it's not perfect it's, it's But not it's not perfect, but it's it's close. It's containment. Yeah, it's some kind of containment. Yeah Well, I mean look it's
2: it's imagine You know if you all you got to do with all of these things This is why I was like Ron Paul is the greatest American hero to, in in my opinion because like this was his whole central point on foreign policy it was always like You just have to try, just try a little bit to put yourself in their shoes. And how would you feel if you were like occupied by a foreign government, which essentially isn't really a foreign government. It's really your government because they're the ones who run, who really run the place. And how would you feel about that? You know, in the in the West Bank, where they're still under uh, military occupation, you know, these guys, the the IDF run in and scream curfew. You got to run inside your house when they do that. Just like that. Even just that level of like
3: That's crazy.
2: being
0: controlled yeah. by a group of people who are not your people, you know? Um, isn't the most crazy thing that, peop- that human beings still behave in these patterns, where we have groups of people that don't know at all, that have no personal interaction whatsoever with other groups of people, and they're willing to murder them. Yeah. Like, this, it's, a, it's sort of like a default mechanism, of the d- default part of the human system. Human beings, when they have control of massive amounts of property and and resources, they they default into that mode. And that's just what's really insane about all this, is that I would have thought by now we'd have figured that out and moved past some of the most ridiculous ideas, but we haven't. Still battles over religion, battles over territory, like holy shit, it could be the end of us over the dumbest battles. And, and you just, yeah, it seems
2: like you would think that just with what we have, you know, like the level of civilization that we have, the level of technology and medical innovation, like all these yeah. things, that you'd be like, you would almost think, if you didn't already know what the truth was, you'd be like, well, war, we don't do war anymore. There's what, big exactly. mass murder campaigns with giant machines of death? We don't do that, that's like a thing we did three, Thousand years ago, we've moved past that. We have other ways of, like, resolving these disputes. But uh, but they still do but it. But
0: we still do it. Do you think that Israel believes they can dismantle Hamas and install a government that they can reasonably discuss things with?
3: But
0: well, even if there was a reasonable discussion, like, what would that entail?
2: Well, okay, but here's—this th- is what I'll say, right? I think that totally could happen. I mean, it, it, it's a little—it's tricky. But the history of it is— this will kind of blow your mind. And by the way, um, for th- this is, is going to sound like a, um, a conspiracy theory if you haven't heard this before, but this is totally 100% true and it's been run in the, the day after. Uh, on, on October 8th, there was a big piece in the, in the uh, Times of Israel about this. There was a front page of Haaretz. These are big newspapers in Israel. And if you want to, you can go to uh, antiwar.com. Uh, my boy Scott Horton and Connor Friedman just wrote this great piece um, uh, about this. And they've got all the quotes in it. So you can just go read it for yourself. And this is in their own words that, that this is admitted that it was Benjamin Netanyahu's strategy for years to prop up Hamas. Specifically because then there would be no negotiating a state for the Palestinians because no one in the international community is going to look at Hamas, this terrorist organization, and say, yeah, we recognize them. So the plan was to undermine the more secular uh, Palestinian authority types. So that they wouldn't be in control. Hamas would be in control. And then no one would ever negotiate their state. Oh, so just geez. to be clear here, this is. And, and by the way, I mean, the, you can find direct quotes from Benjamin Netanyahu saying this in his own words, saying that you must support Hamas. We must continue funding and supporting Hamas so that they can never get a state specifically for that intended reason so basically what what benjamin netanyahu did was for years prop up this terrorist organization and then fail to defend his people from them uh, on october 7th um and it's just you know i like again it's it's Mind-boggling to me that this element gets left out of the conversation in Mm. America But by the way, it's not left out of the conversation in Israel like their newspapers are all talking about this How this plan blew up in his face Um, But it's really you know, this is what happened here It's not that there's this desire at the highest level of the Israeli government because this is what they always say We have no partner for peace. We have no one who's willing to negotiate with us, but it's just not true Every time they have had somebody who, who, who steps up, and, and look, just to be clear here, when I was talking about 1947, 1948, how Israel, like the, the state of Israel was created, th- then in 1967, what they, when they took control of everything, what everybody always says, I shouldn't say what everybody always says, there's people who say crazy stuff, but what Arafat said once he rejected terrorism, even what Hamas said when they first uh, uh, you know, gained some power, in, in Gaza, was 67 borders. They want to go back to the 67 borders. So they're not saying, we want 100% of this back, at least at those points in time. They were just saying, give us our 22% back. You know what I mean? And let us be an autonomous, independent
0: nation. So what, what would have to happen for that? Um, well, First I, of all, that's, that seems like there's no way Israel's going to accept something like that.
2: It seems it seems that as long as the Likud party's in, I don't think so. I mean, I think what you really need is like the Likud party and Hamas have gotta go. And, like, a new generation, uh, you know, of leadership has to come into power somehow. And there has to be, like, a, a desire to actually end this thing.
0: Is there any support in Israel for this idea that they should give them more land and that they should give land back?
2: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, there has been. For, for years, there's always been kind of, like, the liberal wing of of. Uh, Israeli citizens who are totally who are totally against the building the settlements in the Palestinian territory, who are uh, opposed the occupation, who are for return to 67 borders. I mean, look, Yitzhak Rabin, uh, if you remember, he was the prime minister in the 90s. And he was kind of he he was at least saying, I don't know. if the, I don't think this was like completely true, but he was at least saying like that's what he wanted, that he wanted to make a deal to give the Palestinians a state. And there were this was at the beginning of the Oslo Accords. And if you, you remember when Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin came over and shook hands with Bill Clinton and stuff mm-hmm. and they and there was at least talk of like we're going to do this and he he had support from his people now a right-wing Israeli murdered him for that because they thought he was being too soft and you know oh. negotiating so there's a like there's a split for sure mm. but it's not as if there isn't any desire for this now I'm sure if you do polling you know on October 8th in Israel I'm sure they were very pissed off and you know what I mean like that isn't the dominant the dominant belief? And All if right. you do polling in Gaza right now, I'm sure they're very pissed off at Israel. You know what I mean? Because there's the the rally around the flag effect when there's right. terrorism or when there's war. But there have been there have been people on on both sides of this who had had a desire for peace mm. uh, for a long time. And That's just like you know. By the way, if you're if you're interested in this stuff, if you want to do like a deep dive uh, on the whole history. Uh, Daryl Cooper. He uh who um did, do you know did I ask
0: you last night if you Yes if you, you did. We uh, talked about it last night, but tell everybody yeah. who he is So
2: he's Daryl Cooper he his uh Twitter handle is Martyrmaid and he uh is uh he co-hosts the podcast with uh Jaco. Um it's one of his podcasts, so they, they do together. But he did on his on so on Daryl Cooper's solo podcast, he did this deep dive into the history of of Israel and Palestine. Uh it's I mean it's it's a time commitment for sure. It's like uh, twenty five hours or something like that long. There's it's really? six it's six parts and they're all several hours long. It's great. But it is so good like if you i could not recommend it highly enough it is so good he knows he knows the history so well it's filled with all types of like these like little nuggets of information i thought i knew this stuff pretty well but i got all types of nuggets of information from him uh, from over the years and he's totally you can just tell right away he's totally not that guy he's not the guy on twitter who like thinks there's a jewish conspiracy he has nothing but contempt for that kind of like stuff he's not taking he's not presenting it in a pl- political way, he's just being a historian. The only thing that he kind of adds in of his own opinion is he kind of just insists throughout the whole thing that you put yourself in this group's shoes and now put yourself in this group's shoes. Right. And so you can understand why they feel this way and you can understand why they feel this way. Um, but it's just a telling of the history of the story. Could I, uh, so anyway, that the series is called uh, uh, Fear and Loathing in the New Jerusalem. Uh, and then, then he did a follow-up podcast. So that's basically the history from early Zionism in the late 1800s up to, I think that gets you up to like the 1940s. Before I forget, I'm going to
0: yeah. order that up on my thing right now. Yeah,
2: yeah, abs- dude, it's so good.
0: Fear and loathing in the New,
2: new Jerusalem.
0: Jerusalem. Yeah, double check There's me that
3: that's a trailer he made.
2: Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me to play that, Joe?
3: Sure. Okay. So that play doesn't seem like it explains anything. I thought it might. It's just visuals. Oh yeah, I guess you're not really gonna get. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be explaining something. It's just visuals and. Okay, yeah. I just subscribed
0: to the Martyr Maid podcast.
2: Yeah, he's. I, you're gonna love it, dude. It's so good, and he's on point with with all of it. It's just like a really detailed, accurate like history of it. And then, of course, like I, as, as I always say, I mean, if you want to understand any of this stuff, uh, my my guy Scott Horton uh, at antiwar.com is like I think the best. The best voice in America when it comes to war, and he's just he's just brilliant, and uh, he he does a lot to make me look good because he's like this ultimate genius researcher, and he has like all the details from every li- you know he's like every little quote of like uh, that no that hanging them by their own words, like he's done all the research of like mm. look he, you know you read his books and you're like here it is in their own words here it is in their own words, and so that's uh he's he's an incredible resource uh for understanding this stuff. Um, Before
0: I forget this, sure. I wanted to bring this up earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we, you were telling me last night, you were explaining to me when Netanyahu was being protested.
2: Yeah. So this was going on um, literally right up to October 7th. And I'm not like, I'm not suggesting any conspiracy or anything like that. But basically Netanyahu was making, he was trying to make some pretty unprecedented moves um, uh With like drastically changing the Supreme Court's level of power. Um, Within the the Israeli government, Uh, you know, I'm I'm not the expert in this I don't know exactly what the the moves he was but it was really stripping There were like these proposals to strip the Supreme Court of their power and drastically alter uh, uh, Yes, and there were protests in the hundreds of thousands
0: So it says hundreds of thousands march in Israel against Netanyahu's judicial overhaul. Yeah And so you see this giant group of people waving Israeli flags uh, walking down the highway
2: now, from what they were saying, because I listened to it like what a lot of these uh, uh, people leading the protests were saying, they were saying that this was, a, was in effect, going to be the end of democracy in Israel. Now, I don't know if that's a little bit hyperbolic or not, but they certainly felt that way. And he was under enormous uh, political pressure. And in a, in a kind of tragic sense, he was somewhat rescued politically by October 7th.
0: So this is—so uh, whatever this overhaul was— it actually, it says Netanyahu postponed the final vote of the legislation yes. that he had been slated for Monday. In a national address lasting around seven minutes, he said he would hold discussions and bring the legislation up for a vote sometime after lawmakers returned from a recess at the end of April. So he knew it was horrifically unpopular with people, obviously.
2: Yes, and then this was a... Three
0: months of protests.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, this was a big deal and and in huge, huge numbers. Um. And so he now... Netanyahu, in response to this, for, for his own political survival, has allied now with people who are even to the right of the, the Likud party because they were basically the only ones who supported this. And so it's, it's in effect made him even more of a right winger.
0: Well, isn't that just always what happens? God damn. Yeah, and it's that's just what always people over—they're always trying to get more control over the people. They're, they're always—that's
2: yep—that's yeah, the nature of. of it seems like he came
0: like to the brink of signing that.
2: Oh, oh, there's no question. I think he wanted to. He wanted to sign it. I think it's just that there was so much enormous pressure yeah. that he backed out of it. But then again, there's like the white pill, which is like the 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 case for optimism right. is that protests oh, work well, and not just protests, but just. I mean, protests can work at times, but also just if the percentage of the population is so against something, then many times it doesn't get done. Like The, the thing that I think gives me the most, the most cause for optimism and hope is that there's a reason why the gov- governments use propaganda on their own people. There's a reason why they propagandize us, and it's because at least they believe, and I think they're correct in this, that they can't do what they want to do unless we at least tacitly support it yeah. or will accept it. And that you've seen this several times before. I've talked about it before on the show with you where there are these, these instances where they try to push something, and it's just there's so much resistance to it. That they're just like, they kind of dip their their toe in the water to see if maybe they float an idea. And then everybody's just like, no, we're not doing this. And then they go, okay, we're not going to do that now. (sighs) And and at the same time, while we have that dynamic, um, there's, we now, we're in like a revolution in terms of the way people get ideas and stuff like that. I mean, you're a, a pretty gigantic part of that, but there is no longer this kind of monopoly control on the means of information that the American people or people of the world can receive now. And so we kind of like, I do think we have a tremendous opportunity. I mean, you can look around at everything that's like going on that's really bad, and I know I you know, focus on that a lot, but we have like a tremendous opportunity now, unlike ever before, to kind of counter the propaganda of governments. And so I actually think there's a lot of hope uh, for humanity. Um, and then, you know, AI will kill us all in a few years. What but was in this? In the meantime,
0: there, there's the government is trying to, in some way, control things on social media. And what was the latest with the Biden administration? Because I know they've instituted some shit in Canada that freaks people out. And, you know, they're clearly trying to get regulatory power over internet content.
2: Yeah, well, they're. Uh, because it's
0: against their narrative too often.
2: Yeah, well, they're. And they're pretty furious with your boy Elon for, uh, for, for buying for Yeah, an he did uh, yeah. He really committed a crime against the establishment by uh, saying that not every single social media uh, platform now will be on board with the program. Yeah. Um, so that. But you see the way they're kind of coming after him. Um, well, he and, kind of
0: put his foot in his own mouth with that one. With what? With the, the, the Twitter uh, thing exchange that he got in trouble for. Wait, what? The, the not... one they telling saying that he's anti Semitic. Oh, oh, oh. What, what was that specific one? <sighs> Jamie will find it. Oh, oh, it was one. He, like, responded to an anti Semitic thing or something like that. Is that what it was? And said you were saying the actual truth or something along those lines. Okay. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. I, I vaguely remember is, this. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you're shooting from the hip like that and saying things that are, that's a, that's, if you have, like, an explanation for what you're saying are you saying the uh what what are you saying the adl like what is it what is what is the thing that you're you have a beef with yeah uh elon boost anti-semitic tweet claims adl and other groups push anti-white messaging see i don't because i think the tweet said something about i don't think it's specifically mentioned the adl so if it did specifically mention the adl then I would say, oh, he's talking about the ADL doing this thing. But oh. I don't think that was exactly so how the wait, tweet was Jew- Jewish communities have
2: been pushing the exact kind of dialectic hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. Yeah. Okay. See, yeah, they said, yeah, see so it's so they Jewish communities. He's yeah. not
0: saying the ADL.
2: Right. Right. Yeah, that, wasn't, that probably wasn't a good response. And then
0: so Elon says you have said the actual truth. So if he said the ADL has been pushing these things, then you could say yes. But he's saying Jewish communities. Is the ADL Jewish community? Yes, it is. But you just can't lump them all into one group like So, like,
2: you could argue a case of on a technicality, like they are a Jewish community, but still, when you just say it that way... That's such a blanket statement. The most reasonable interpretation of that is not going to be that you're referring to the ADL. So, yeah, I agree with you. He did put his foot in his mouth on that one. But also, to be clear, that's not really what their beef with him is. They saw this, and then they go, oh, good, we'll use this one to get him. But they've had a beef with Elon Musk. When Elon Musk was doing nothing but just... Simply saying, I'm considering buying Twitter to make it a free speech platform, which was what he initially said. Yeah, they were furious at him for that. So, like, yes, it's true. That probably was that was a bad tweet. And he was not clear with what I don't think he meant to say what it sounded like he was saying there. Um, I mean, I don't know. But they, the point really is that they were furious at him already just for the the gall of saying you were going to come. Make this a free speech platform when, as we know from the Twitter files, right, that this wasn't it wasn't simply that Jack Dorsey was deciding he didn't want to hear anything that was skeptical about the covid vax or lockdowns on his platform. But it was literally that the FBI, our federal government, political campaigns, three letter agencies were telling Twitter colluding with them. And making sure that, again, like I was saying before, that their government propaganda that they felt was necessary in order to institute these tyrannical policies of, of the COVID regime, that that was not allowed to be dissented against on there and that's what his look his real crime against them was buying twitter saying he's not gonna he's gonna make it a free speech platform and releasing the twitter files that's really what got the establishment turned on elon musk who is you probably remember was once a
0: darling right most most certainly but even if those things didn't take place and he was the ceo of twitter and he quoted that tweet it would still be a The ADL would
2: probably still write
0: a piece about him. Yes, it would still be the equal problem. Yeah, okay That's fair that that's just that's just one of those things like if you have a specific if you met here's the other thing I Don't know how the fuck he even does what he does like how is he tweeting while he's making rockets? How's he tweeting while he's running Tesla? So the, the amount of attention that he must be putting into each tweet has to be minimal yeah. it's not like he's like going over a very complex nuanced subject and sitting there before he makes this yes, yes. he's got fucking people Elon what do we do with this you, you want the yeah. tip of the rocket pointy like space balls and you know the fucking cyber trucks do you, 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 you want it 1100 horsepower or 1500 horsepower <laughs> uh, z- z- well z- I've,
2: I mean I'm I'm not nearly as busy as Elon Musk and I know I mean I don't think I have one like that but I've definitely like replied to tweets before and then like realized I misread the tweet right like and I, I was 100%. like oh I missed read that and i what i said i didn't actually mean i wasn't agreeing right. with you oh no i disagree with you you know so it's like it, you know I, it's not unforgivable it's not like he tweeted something like that he replied to somebody else saying yeah that's right yeah he you know but i agree with you it was not it was not good and that probably that will get you heat
0: when you're that big and famous of a person Especially no matter what with what's going on yeah so then he uh, scores points on the other side by saying that agreeing that that Phrase from the river to the sea Palestine will be free that that is implying genocide he's saying, yeah, I mean
2: I look there's definitely people who say it who mean that by it a, I have don't know you seen
0: it... people that get interviewed when they're they're chanting, and then these people interview them, like what do you mean by to which river and which sea like what are you saying?' And they're like, "What? Well, why are you asking me questions? <laughs> like, I'm just trying to find out. Like, what river are you talking about, and what sea does it go well, to? Yeah, but
2: dude, this is this is protest in general because I I remember <laughs> videos of um it, the the march for our lives uh, when they were marching for gun control." They had like these big protests up in Boston and stuff, and they'd go around interviewing them and just ask them, you know, they'd be like, so, uh, you know, what, what is it that, what policy do you want? And they're like, we want a ban on assault weapons. They'd be like, what's an assault weapon? And then you, know, you already see them being like, um,
0: well, Dude, it's
2: the scary Joy, ones.
0: Joy Behar was on The View talking about shooting a deer with an AR. There'd be nothing left of the deer. <laughs> <It's just a, laughs> she just have no
2: idea. Just has
0: no five, idea. 5.56 is small round. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ARs don't shoot a big well, round. It's not like a 300 Win Mag. It's not like a big rifle round. It's, it's, a, a,
2: it's a fairly small round. A huge percentage of these guys, because this is like so many times I've seen people make this mistake, a huge percent of them think the AR-15 is a machine gun. Like they, they, You know what
0: I mean? Like yeah. there's A lot of them don't. It just looks like a tactical gun. And there's some people that like don't like the idea of using it for hunting because it's a semi-automatic. But realistically a semi-automatic is more ethical for hunting than a bolt-action rifle. A bolt-action takes too much time to reload. So if you hit an animal and you want to hit it again while you can still see it, you want to be able to go bang, bang. You want to be able to get a second shot into that animal. It's more humane. Right, right. So it's really a a very (laughs) good gun, except for the round. The round is not, like, that heavy.
2: One of the real problems in the gun control debate is that, which kind of makes sense by the nature of it, but the people who are on the side of gun control tend to not like guns and not be around guns. Right. But then the problem is that you're having a debate about something that
0: you just don't know anything about. Sure. Like sure. saying that an AR-15 would be terrible. Like people kill deers with way bigger rounds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just routes. it's
2: just a statement out of ignorance. Now, th- by the way, that's not a blanket statement for everyone. Like there are people who are for gun control who know a lot about yes. guns, but generally speaking, yes. the people who support that tend to be the ones who aren't around guns, don't know people with guns, live in blue cities where the
0: only people who have guns are criminals and cops. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those things where you have an opinion and that opinion is oftentimes just a, a, an opinion that you have adopted from your ideology. There's like a predetermined pattern of opinions and behavior that you've adopted. This is acceptable for my tribe right. Right. and you know, when you say AR-15, you don't even have to know anything. You just tell tell people, "Oh, you're going to blow that deer to smithereens. It's going to be nothing left."
2: Yep. Yeah. And then the other the major to me like the major problem, and I think this is kind of like the fundamental libertarian insight, is that people remove themselves from what they're actually advocating for when they're advocating for, like, laws against things. Right. And so you, in, in a lot of people's minds, when they're advocating for gun control, what they're advocating for is, like, less mass shootings, Right. You know what I mean? Like that's what I want. I want less mass shooting. Right. So here's how we get it. It's uh, same same thing when people advocate for uh, criminalizing drugs or prostitution or whatever it might be. What they're advocating for their mind is like I want less drug use or and I want less of. But it's what also the reality is, the nuance. But, but the reality is, and this is what I mean by the libertarian insight is that what you're actually advocating for is that men with guns throw human beings in a cage for the crime of possessing a gun. Not doing anything to anybody not violating anybody's rights, but just and in this country all throughout this country We have people who are sitting in cages for decades for the crime of just owning a weapon Like many in many cases for self-defense in many cases They were just doing it because they wanted to protect themselves You could bring you could just have a gun and bring it across a state line which in many cases people live right on the border and cross state lines all the time, going to work or going to a friend's house or something, and the crime of having that gun and bringing it over this state can land you like a 15-year jail sentence. And so even it's true with, with drugs and with all of this stuff. The real question when you're talking about writing laws against something shouldn't be like, how do you feel about that thing? It should, it should be like, are you willing to throw another human being in a cage for that? And... I Basically, I think if you really ask yourself that and you're a decent person, you get to a place of like, the only thing that it would be morally acceptable to throw a human being in a cage for is a violent crime where somebody is victimized or some type of like property crime where you've like, you know. Some
0: Bernie made off shit.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, because stealing from people or just like burning somebody's house down, uh, you know, like stealing their money from them. Because when you steal, when you take somebody's property that, like it may not, by the technical letter of the the statement, be a violent crime, but you have violated them yes. in some sense. like you in a sense like if you if you work all day and you make x amount of dollars for that and then I steal x amount of dollars from you, I basically stole your day. like I almost retroactively enslaved you yeah. for a day, that you just worked for me against your will. so those but outside of that, outside of like property crimes and violent crimes. There's just like I just think there's no moral case that we should throw human beings in, in a cage over it. No matter how much you don't like their their behavior or their actions. Well,
0: there's there's a lot of problems, right? One of the problems is that it's profitable to put people in cages. That's, that's for sure. With everything in this world, when it becomes profitable. They figure out a way to justify whatever the fuck they have to do, whether it's lie about side effects or lie about the dangers of certain food additives or lie about the effect of pesticides or herbicides, whatever the fuck it is. They've always shown that they will find a way to justify what, even if they, if it's the sugar industry bribing scientists to pretend that saturated fat is the problem, yep. they will fi- they'll find a way if money's involved. So if money's involved in that, why would it be any different? And it's not. Well, right. So and this is
2: basically kind of the beauty of free market capitalism, which we have so distorted with this kind of giant crony capitalist system that we live under, is that in a, in a free market, um, you're, it, if there's no government um, involvement and you're in a free market, there's still all of those incentives that you're talking about. Though All these companies want to make as much money as possible. But. What it kind of does is channel that into something where like, all right, how do we make as much money as possible? Well, you gotta make something that people really wanna buy. You yeah. gotta make something that they really want. You know what I mean? And that, I'm not suggesting there can't be any corruption in that type of system, but once you get the government involved in it, now the way, the, the way to make the most money is to force things on people. You get the government to write a rule and now the people have no choice. And so these incentives that can s- somewhat exist in harmony with doing good for society in some conditions is now totally corrupted, right? Like it's totally, so even if you think about something with like, let's say there's, uh, you have like the vaccine or or a vaccine or something like that, and theoretically there's no collusion between the government and pharmaceutical companies, and you want to get people to take uh, your vaccine. Well, you're going to have to like convince them that it's really good for them. You're going to have to sell them on like, no, look at, look at this data. look at how many how much this reduced the you know, the rate of death from this. Look at all this great information about the vaccine. But if you have the government involved, then you're like, well, you know what? Just go lobby the government to make it mandatory. Mm. then then we'll rake in profits. that's the, That's so much more of a profitable direction yeah. to go. And so, you know, this all these things get corrupted, and particularly it, it, today, we just, um, you know, the size of the U.S. federal government is the, it's the biggest organization in the history
0: of the world. It's, there's nothing, there's not even a close second. And it's uh, got survival instincts. Yeah. It doesn't want to give up ground. It doesn't want to give up power. Well, it wants is... to keep expanding. It wants more funding for its projects. It wants to hire more people to deal with something in an incompetent way. And it's not like the free market where, it, like, if it's incompetent, like, there's going to be a competitor that comes along and does a better job and you're going to lose yeah. the market. No, now, you ever look at the um, if you look
2: at like the uh, the list of the richest counties in in America and they're like, I forget the exact numbers. It's like it's all obvious. Well, it's like 10 of the they're all not all, but the vast majority of them are right outside Washington, D.C. <laughs> and right outside New York City. And so, like, what is that? Is that is that capitalism? Do you go to Washington, D.C. and you go, oh, there's all there's more millionaires there than there are in any other part of the world in the suburbs around Washington, D.C. Is that because there's great big factories and they're making so much stuff that everyone (laughs) wants to buy? It's like, no, that's because our centralized federal government spends over six trillion dollars a year. And where does that money go? It goes into all the people who are connected to government. And why is it outside of New York City? Is it because in New York City they have great big factories where they're making all the things that everyone wants? It's like, no. And that's not because of capitalism. That's because Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. And now it's just this phony casino Wall Street money. So it's everybody, all the people at the top who are making all of this money, they're not making it. It'd be one thing if you're – If you're like uh, John D. Rockefeller before he went and colluded with the government and you created Standard Oil and now there's this big oil company and you're making the country richer by this. But they're not making the country richer. They're extracting wealth out of the rest of the population. It's all just extracted. I mean, literally, the federal spending is extracting wealth out of people by taxing them. And then spending it, literally taking the money from people who work and giving it to politically connected people. And then the the Wall Street money is just printing money and then making your dollar less valuable. So just in another way, extracting wealth from the people. And this is basically why we live in this populist moment right now where so many people are so
0: freaking furious at the establishment because they're right to be. They're right to be. It's a shit system. It's a shit scary system that you can never beat if it gets to make its own rules. Well, it's not what it's and it's not what America was supposed to be. It's you also, know, It's so wild. The stock market is such a wild idea that it's based on confidence and you you bet on companies. Yeah, You're essentially betting on com- buying and selling and you can wreck them and you can own them. And, you know, and there's people that just play that game. All they do is like chase after businesses short businesses you could short a country
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 no it's pre- it's pretty wild it's pretty wild and <sighs> it's the all craziest and, gambling but this is also you know like to go back to like ron paul stuff this was like at the center of his campaign i don't think anybody else um outside of like the libertarian party will uh, will put up candidates who like talk about this stuff but ron paul was the only one like in a major party who got like a huge amount of traction behind him but where he was like look this is all like when you go when you have a fiat currency system and you go off of any type of gold standard or anything that kind of limits the government's ability to just print as much money out of thin air as they want to you get this thing where we live in a cycle of constant inflation and this is something that people don't put that much thought into. Like, you know, when you're talking to your grandma or something and she's like, in my day, a bottle of Coke was a nickel. We just take that almost as like, yeah, well, that's how it works. Things over time get way more expensive. That's just how... Because that's been so just how we've always experienced life that it's just a given that everything's always going to be a little more expensive and we may have a bad year where things are like 9% more expensive and then maybe we'll have a better year where things are only 2% more expensive, but it's always going in this direction. But that's not a law of nature. That doesn't just have to be that way. And in fact, if you looked at like from the year, uh, say, 1800 to the year 1900, somebody talking to their grandparents would have had the complete opposite. Uh, thing they would have been like, oh my god, it was so much more expensive when I was young, and now things are getting cheaper. And in fact, the natural tendency in a society that's developing, the natural pressure is for things to get cheaper. Because if you just think about it, right, like you get more efficient at making them, you get, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like you get, you get more efficient at making them, you can make more things with less manpower. That would naturally put a downward pressure on prices but because the government keeps printing money the value of the money goes down and so we live in the system where things get more and more expensive but then when you have that right and then you have all types of government incentives on top of that right so it's like okay first of all you're gonna if you just hold your money because this is what people used to do many generations ago was the idea of just saving your money Mm -hmm. you save it but if you just save your money today joe you're a sucker because of this system right like if you just hold your dollars Well, you're just losing money actively so you got to be chasing interest in order to just not lose money You have to be chasing an investment. You know what I mean? You have to be like gambling on something and so now and then of course there's also other like tax incentives where like you you can kind of defer taxes if you invest in things. And so you're kind of, like, pushed into, you know, like, well, put it in your 401K, put it in this, put yeah. it in that, and then you won't. But just think about that, like, logically, aside from being really good for rich bankers, why would you think that it's a good – for, like, an average – you know, say like couple who's just like working and making money and they don't know anything about stocks and bonds and trading, for, you know, exchange traded funds and what to invest in and whatnot. Why would you say that you, you should be working? No, you shouldn't be working and saving a little bit for your, uh, for your retirement. What you should be doing is gambling. You should always be gambling your money constantly. Isn't that sound financial advice? Gamble and gamble on something that you
0: don't understand. Right. And you've done no research on it. Yeah. Trust someone and who works on Wall Street. Do you remember that time about a year or so ago where banks started failing? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Remember yeah. how spooky that was? Yeah. Where banks started going under, and there was a real concern that it would cause a you know, a cascade effect. They were very, very concerned about that, yeah. And it I- didn't, but it got close, and we had never heard about that many banks. I mean, there was a savings and loan crisis. Remember when a bunch mm-hmm. of those places went under? Yeah. I remember that. I found out about that because Vinny Pazienza, the boxer, lost a, a bunch of money in one of those. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, you know, I think his life earnings. I think he lost a shitload of money. Like, quite a few people have lost a lot of money in these fucking things. Where yeah. Banks go under. Yeah. Like, all well, of a sudden, you lose everything. Like, what? You don't have my money? Well, and There's of course, no in, in 2008,
2: was, that was the big one. you know. Yeah. In 2008, and they really set a precedent there with that kind of too big to fail mm-hmm. line of logic, where if that's true, that the banks are too big to fail, and then you bailed all of them out, and now they're bigger than they were then, then they're really too big to fail now, right? So it kind of perpetuates this idea that, we listen, the banking system, and everybody kind of knows this, the banking system is built on a house of cards— um, and it could collapse at any moment, and if it does, the federal government's going to have to come rob you of your money to give to a bunch of bankers again.
0: That's our system. That's our financial system. And the CEOs of those banks still got bonuses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They now, all still got they bonuses. They said they had to give them bonuses, otherwise they would leave yeah. and go other places. And, it's, and it shows
2: It shows a real um, like eroding of something completely different than the political system, just our culture, that there wasn't at least like like enough shame of those people to just go, yeah, I'm going to not take my bonus this year because I don't want to get dragged bonus. through the streets and like killed by the citizens of this country. I don't want to feel like that. And it's not as if these people didn't already have tens of millions of dollars, like they really needed their bonus from this year or like little Timmy isn't going to get his Thanksgiving want turkey. A yacht. Yeah, it's like, no, I want a fifth yacht.
0: Yeah, I like, it's a like yacht. that
2: level. Yeah. But the, the the whole banking system is it what's the um Oh man, I'm going to get this. What's the Christmas movie where they kind of go over fractional reserve banking? Uh is it it's a wonderful life or the one where they're like where they all come into the bank, there's like a bank run and they want their money and he's like, oh, but don't you see, your money's over here at Frank's Farm and then his money's over there and that's how, but like, uh, I, I can't remember which one it was, but anyway. Was oh, that um, It's a
0: Wonderful Life? Is that what it was? Yes,
2: I think it was, was It's it? a Wonderful Life. Oh, may, no, it's maybe an not. an old ass movie. No, be, yeah, yeah, exact. but it's an old one, but they're go. But the whole system of fr- what, fractional reserve banking is really kind of this fascinating like, thing because everybody still kind of has in their mind that if you you kind of have in your mind that the money in your bank account is your money and that you're holding it, that they're holding it for you. Right. But that's not right. That's not what's going on. And if you ever actually read like the contract that you sign when you open uh, a checking account, that's not what it is. It's more like you're loaning money to the bank and they owe that money to you. But they don't have to give it to you. They, it, you could, legally speaking, you could walk in tomorrow uh, to a bank, I mean no one actually walks up to a teller anymore.
0: It's A Wonderful Life isn't a Christmas movie, it's a banking movie.
2: Oh yeah, 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 so that is yeah. the scene. I was right about that. Okay, uh, but so you, you could walk into the bank tomorrow and you're checking you know, account balances, whatever, say it's $5,000, and you could go, I'd like to take out $2,000, and they can say no. You can't have it. Now, yeah. they owe it to you, technically, but they don't have to give it to you. They're not just holding it for you to give to you on demand. Now, the system hasn't collapsed, so they will give that to you today if you walk into a bank. But, when but if you, too many people come in and they want too much money. Well, they don't have it. Yeah, is the point. So when you open a bank account, and I don't know exactly what the reserve rates are now, because I know they did change this during COVID, but for a while it was 10%. Um, was the what the Federal Reserve set as the reserves uh, that you had to put away? So when you come into your bank and you give them hundred dollars to open a checking account, just to make it an easy number, they they hold ten dollars and they loan out ninety dollars. And now, so they they'll loan that money out, and so essentially they owe you a hundred dollars. But the the effect of this, right, is that now there's this this guy. So let's say you open the account with a hundred dollars. Now there's another guy who takes out a loan for $90. And you're now in the economy and kind of like you think you have $100 and he thinks he has $90. But really there's only – there's not $190. There's only $100. That, you, you get what I'm right. saying? But now here's where it gets even crazier than that. This guy doesn't just hold his $90. He goes and puts it in the bank. And so the bank holds – Ten percent of that money and then loans out 90 percent of that to somebody else who then puts that money in the bank and then they take 10 percent. So when you actually look at the effect of it, there's like not nearly as much money in the bank as we all think we have So essentially, if everybody came into the bank or even just too many people came into the bank and said, we'd like to withdraw our money. There's nowhere near enough money for them to give you. So inherently the whole
0: thing is kind of a house of cards. It's like when you're going to a stadium and you try to use your cell phone, you realize there's no signal, even mm-hmm. though you have five bars, right. because everyone's using their phone. Mm-hmm. So there's no signal for you. You right. can't get online, you can't make a phone call.
2: Th- right, like this thing only works if we're not all trying to do it at the same time. Exactly. But if we do, yeah. then we're in a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, D- yeah. cell phone towers get overwhelmed, and they're fucked.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then you realize, you, and then you realize how much, before, right? Well, oh yeah, yeah, I have, dude. Even just uh, the other, uh, like a week ago, I was on a, a flight where the uh, just like the Wi-Fi was out, mm-hmm. and so just like your phone's useless now, yeah. you know. And it's just, it is such a weird feeling when you're just like, you're like, right, I guess I'll look on this TV thing yeah. now, disconnected. Like it's like it's like you're almost instantly zoomed into like. 15 years ago or something like that. And if it like came that,
0: back down to be excited. Let me check what I got.
2: Yeah, yeah. What's my tip? But, but there was something kind of, you know, there is
0: something kind of nice about it, mm. about putting your phone away for a little bit and just doing the old thing. Oh, yeah. No, something very nice about it. It's unfortunate, but we're moving in that direction further and further, and we're not coming back. Oh, and you just got, you, there's no fight in it. You know, um, when we were talking earlier about the gun control argument, I think that is one of those other red and blue discussions. Where, if you were on one side, you're like, we got to take all the guns away. And it's, which is so crazy short sighted. It's the, I mean, it sounds like a fucked up thing to say, but if things got way worse, it could protect you from tyranny. Like it, it's happened in the past. It's a, it's a real issue. And to think it's not a real issue is so crazy. It might not be a real issue with the current administration, but to give people more and more power as they acquire more and more power, and then you see what happens in other countries. That can happen here kids. It can happen anywhere. It is a a way human beings behave but but one of the things that is always stunning to me is this willingness this desire to ignore the fact that almost all these shooters are on psychiatric medications and if you bring that up somehow or another you're a conspiracy theorist we are literally talking about chemicals that alter the way your mind works, and there seems to be some connection, whether it's because only a crazy person would wind up being a mass shooter, maybe. Right. Maybe that's it. But the fact that there's no discussion of maybe there's a connection. Can it be? It, it also might be, uh, because I don't
2: know if, if we actually know this or like if you're drug testing these shooters after, but it could be also like... Being on this medication and then suddenly going off of the medication, uh, you know, like it's hard to tell. But sure. that's still a concern about the medication itself. Is it's that also, like how are you going to make sure this person isn't going off it if that's the issue? Right, you can't right, control it. Right, and then but look, even on on a lot of these uh like SSRI uh uh psychotropic drugs, they'll it, they'll say in the disclaimer like side effects can be like uh um, depression, thoughts of suicide, yeah. things like this. Like there are the, the, we're, we're messing with chemicals in your brains and they're saying, well, for the most part, we think it makes people feel less depressed, but there are some people who it actually makes feel more depressed and then they'll even put suicidal thoughts on there. And so you're like, are you telling me that it's a crazy leap to think that if a drug might make you have suicidal thoughts, it might make you have homicidal thoughts? Like is that is that crazy to say, and it's then, not crazy, you know at all, and look, obviously, like you're what you're saying here is like there's there's kind of like a circular like aspect to the argument because you could also make the point that you're like, oh no, the reason why so many of these mass shooters are on these drugs is because they're the type of people who would need these drugs, right. but there's at least something to look at there where it's like, yeah, but is it possible that the drugs itself are making this worse? because, look, we just when it comes at least to the school shooting, you know stuff we did not have this problem before. There, there was a time in American history when this just was not happening. Right. And it was a time before we had this, these drugs. So right. there's at least at least raises the question of, is it possible that this is actually what's going on? And and how exactly can it be that like, what, like through all of human history, it was just wrong. And the truth is that children must be medicated. Like children must be on drugs as they're being raised up. And it is, it is um, criminal. It is criminal how quickly the vast majority of, of uh, psychiatrists will just prescribe a little boy uh, Adderall or, you know, I think that's more popular than Ritalin now or whatever the other one, that new one that's kind of like Adderall is now. They'll just put them on drugs. Like, hey, I can't sit still. Put them on drugs. Drug him. That like you're not even talking about like like perhaps there is an argument to there are there are certain people I think who need to be on medication. I mean, I've I've known people who have like a bipolar disorder and like if they don't take this medication, they're going to be in a very bad place. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But the idea that just like every little boy who can't sit still needs to be drugged.
0: Well, is, that's just insane. If you've paid attention to the relationship between pharmaceutical drugs yeah. and these salespeople, and then the doctors and the, the the cozy relationship that these people all have, then you realize like, well, there's a lot of money to prescribing yeah. these drugs. And as disgusting as that sounds, people are willing to put. People on drugs they may not even need that could have detrimental effects if it can be profitable.
2: And I think one of the things, certainly I learned this in a very personal way um, over the last few years, and I think probably a lot of people listening did too, is that a lot of doctors are, let's just say, totally reliant on whatever the institutions say. And they will then come out in their white coat and be like, I totally recommend this medication, and it's just because one of these major institutions said it. They're trusting them. They have not done their own independent research on this at all. I'm not sure if it's like how many cases it's because they're corrupt and it's actually it's profitable for them to do this or how many of the cases they've just kind of like accepted that the experts have – them; they themselves have accepted like the experts have figured this out. And so yeah, it doesn't hurt that I'm making money off of this too, but I'm going to tell you to do this. But I had this experience um, with with doctors – telling me to, uh, not only telling me to get the COVID vaccine, but telling me to give it to my little children. Um, starting it with my, my boy was only a little over six months when they were, were telling me to give him the COVID vaccine. And then I'm arguing with the doctor about it and I'm dominating him in the argument. Like he hasn't read half the shit that I've read about this. And he has no response to like the, the points that I'm bringing up. And you, it's just very eye-opening to be like, damn, man, like I always just kind of trusted that my doctor knew more about medicine than I do. And if he's recommending something, it's because he's looked into it and knows that this is a, you know, wise recommendation.
0: There's a lot of good doctors. For sure. There's a lot of doctors that are are not paying attention and don't give a fuck and are just working and shuffling patients in and out of their offices and they're in debt. And then on top of that, they're probably medicated. The people (laughs) that I know, I know a couple people that are doctors that are shockingly medicated, Like, they'll tell me that they're on this and that and that and this and this one for that and that one for this. This is a mood stabilizer. Like, whoa. Yeah. So are you just, like, experimenting? Are you, like, going to your friend who's also a doctor and saying, let's try that out, let's try this out? Well, it's crazy. If if you're just prescribing medication to people, wouldn't it be even normal for you just to be taking a bunch of medication? Yeah, well, I guess so.
2: But dude, I know, I mean, I know a lot of people. I'm sure you do too. I, I, I bet everyone listening to this knows somebody who I know people who have like gone to therapy the first time had a 45 minute session and it ends with a prescription being put in their hand. Like they've talked to this person for 45 minutes, just had a, like haven't even gotten to know them at all. You know what I mean? And just ends with the like here. This is what you're on Six. now. We're going to try around with this. And to me, that sounds crazy. Oh, by the way, I should say just because the point you made, and I, you're, like when you said there are a lot of good doctors out there, I totally believe that too. Yeah. And doctors saved my son's life. And those doctors are like the those doctors and nurses are like the greatest people I've ever met in my life And I I owe them everything I have like I owe them my house and my you know everything There's amazing um, So I do I'm not like trying to like say there aren't these amazing people particularly. What's touched my life the most is like um, Pediatric uh, cardiologists and and cardiac surgeons and stuff like that are freaking incredible um, Neo uh, Neo uh, Um, excuse me, NICU nurses are literally the best group of people I've ever met in my entire life. Um, So I'm not like trying to disparage the entire medical community. It's just that there are so many like of your kind of family doctors, pediatricians, things like that, who will just tell you to get your kids, give your kids the COVID vax when there's no solid
0: argument for that. And And, and way past the point when there even could have been an argument for that. On top of that, they fired those nurses that weren't willing to get vaccinated. Yeah. Even the ones that had had COVID. And got through it. Even the ones who were really good at TikTok dances, they, they all got out. They all got out. They fucking knew. Yeah. They knew that it imparted natural immunity. And they're like, no, you got to be a part of the Mark team. Yeah, you got to yeah. get marked.
2: Well, and the good, you got to be on the good side. The craziest thing about that was that many of these these nurses, at the point, right? Because when when they were when the point when they were firing them, was already well into 2021. I mean, it must have been like in the summer of 2021 when that started happening. Mm -hmm. And so these people had been working around COVID positive people since what? at the latest january of 2020 they went through the so, worst of it when there was no yes, treatments available so 100 percent of these nurses had either had COVID and gotten over it or figured out how to protect themselves from getting COVID by being you know like super careful with yeah. you know like n95 masks and washing their hands even that and stuff. even but,
0: that it's probably their antibodies it's probably their yes, system that fought it off yes but i'm just saying none of them have not figured out
2: how to like work right. under the conditions of the reality of, of COVID-19. And so to then at that point, and it was just, what was amazing about it, and it shows you a little bit about how the propaganda machine works, is that the propaganda starts with, and this happened several times throughout COVID, right? Where the propaganda starts being, oh, the nurses are the heroes. Every day at 6 p.m. in New York City, we're gonna open our windows and clap for them while we're all locked down because they're the healthcare workers and they're really on the front lines of this battle. And then as soon as you're not compliant, with uh, with with the latest requirements of the regime, your life's ruined.
0: Yeah, we'll because end your there, there's no room for nuance. There's no room for oh, you've had it, then you don't have to get it because then you're gonna sell less vaccines. Right. It's right. really that simple. But there's
2: also no loyalty to the like oh weren't they like our heroes last right. year and they're like nope they're not helping the current agenda. But you saw that a lot with there there's uh you can hear Fauci talking in 2020 about how we're never going to get a vaccine. And even if we get a vaccine, it's going to take a decade before we'd know it'd be safe. And so blah, blah, because he was trying to sell the lockdown regime at the time. And so he was saying like, no, 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 Don't think there's going to be something that gets us out of all of this. We have to lock down. That's the only way to do it. But then as soon as that, sw- that switched and it was like, okay, now the plan is to push the vaccine. It was like, no, you have to get the vaccine. Everybody has to get that. No questions. Don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Don't do your own
0: research. I'm your own research. Yeah. Do you see what they're doing with soldiers? So, uh, you know, they fired a lot of soldiers who weren't willing to take mm-hmm. the COVID vaccine. And now they're inviting them back.
2: Yeah. Well, they're having a, a big recruitment issue. Yeah. In the military. Yeah.
0: Well, how many fucking videos do you have of uh, some Navy soldier, Navy sailor who uh, is doing a TikTok and he turns into a woman and dances around you like what? Aren't you in the navy? Yeah. Like shouldn't that shit be not what you're broadcasting? Like this is like what are you, what are you doing? Are you doing this for attention? Yeah, you would. Like what? You What's also going on with the navy? <laughs> you also would think and I'm not
2: inside the minds of everybody who joins the military, but I feel like That isn't what most of them get in it for, you know what I mean? Like that would probably turn off a lot of these uh, these young brave boys who want to like join the military to protect the Bill of Rights and defend our country and make sure your sister doesn't get attacked by a terrorist or something. And they're not really like the wokest amongst us. And uh, yeah, like that might win you some points in like Portland, but I don't think that like most of the kids from like rural Texas or Alabama who want to sign up to enlist in the military. Uh, they might be a little bit dissuaded by that culture. I
0: think you're going to turn them away. I'm, oh shit! The fucking military's gone woke too.
2: Yeah, it's a Bud yeah.
0: Light thing for the military. Yeah, you know the military went Bud Light. But it is.
2: Look, dude, the the COVID stuff and the the woke stuff. It all does just like. It's like if you just try to like step out of a little bit yeah. of it and just like observe what's going on. It's kind of easy to just be like, oh, like we're living through a moment of national insanity. Yeah. Um let's well, hope this passes. But this is this is craziness that for almost I think almost anyone else of any other generation, it would be very easy to to describe exactly what you're seeing right now. You'd be like, Oh, this is insanity.
0: Well, it's the first time ever where propaganda has encountered new media. Yeah. It's the first time ever. So everything seems so insane. And if you're a person that's always gone like mainstream news That's it You have narratives in your head Like I know a lot of older people they have, like, very specific CNN or Fox News narratives in their head. Yeah, well, dude, this is uh, this is really, to me, very revealed with, with
2: Israel, though with the, with the war going on over there right now, where you see that particular— there's this huge generational gap where it's like the older generation is like, no, I know—what I know about this is this. And I've always known that it's like the story here is yeah. that Israel just wants to exist, mm-hmm. and then these crazy barbaric uh, Arabs just want to kill them, and that's it. And But— you see amongst a, the younger generation a lot more of an understanding of, of that that's not the entire story now I'm not saying they get
0: everything right either, but they at least know that like that's not the whole story right. um, But look like well because and, of people like you that just laid it out and and here's the best thing about it What your too many people? Believe that their side is correct, and there's a solution if you really look at the whole thing You go, boy, that is insanely complicated. And it's got such a history of horrific violence now. And one of the other things I forgot to ask earlier the the origin of, like, when it was, what what was it originally before it was Israel? Like, what was it named? Like, what's the history of that land? Well, uh, so, was it ever a Jewish state before? Um, I not I don't think a Jewish state, but, but like in biblical Jewish, times, right. like
2: so the the Jews like lived there. Um, right. but like uh, but in the more like recent history, um, so before it was basically it was the Ottoman Empire ruled it for hundreds of years, right? Um, and it was called Palestine, but it was under the control of of the Turks of the Ottoman Empire, um, and so that was like I think for 400 years or something like that they controlled uh, the area, and then. In uh, so basically, Zionism starts in the late 1800s. Uh, this is when the first Zionist writers start, and it starts uh, mostly by uh, or, or maybe exclusively, but definitely mostly by Eastern European Jews. Uh, and Zionism was a reaction, uh, in my opinion, a very understandable reaction to the pogroms. Which, like, dude, if you ever want to not be able to sleep at night, go read about the history of the pogroms, it's the most disturbing thing in the world. I'm and, not
0: aware of it at all.
2: Okay, so basically. There would be over and over and over again, there were waves of what you would just describe as kind of state allowed, in some cases state sanctioned, um, just waves of mass violence against Jewish people in Eastern Europe. And if you, if you think like the, um, You know, like if you ever like if you're in the dark recesses of the Internet and you see some like anti-Jewish conspiracy and you might kind of like roll your eyes at it and be like, this is pretty stupid. But the stuff back then, it was like like a virus would come in and they would accuse the Jews of practicing black magic. And that's why everyone's getting sick from this virus. So like try arguing your way out of that one. You know what Wait, I mean? Like
0: what year is this? What time period? This
2: is this is happening um all throughout the uh the sixteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds and into the eighteen hundreds. It's there it were waves of it over and over again. And it's like I mean, I'm talking about where like they would just storm Jewish areas and like literally the stuff that'll give you nightmares. I mean it's like 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 just rip your baby apart in front of you, rape your wife, make you watch, and then beat you to death afterward. And this happened over and over and over again. And so the early Zionists were basically like, they were like, we can't live like this anymore. Like we can't live with this, just like waiting for the next pogrom to happen. So we're not doing this anymore. And what we need is a Jewish homeland. That was kind of their conclusion. And you can totally see where that's a totally reasonable conclusion in the face of that type of of violence. Now, there were lots of other Jews who disagreed with them. There were lots of Jews, in fact, at the time, the only opponents of Zionism were Jews, because they were the only ones who knew about this plan anyway. It was only a small group of people. But they were kind of like, well, no, you're you're giving in to the same anti-Semitic narrative that we're trying to fight. Like because they'd be saying things like, look, we are different and we need to remove ourselves from society. And they're like, no, that's what they're saying. We disagree with that. We just want to be, you know, members of the, the society we live in and give, we just want our like equal rights. But anyway, the Zionists took off. One of the things that's really interesting, if you read the early Zionist writings, um, they did not talk much about Arabs. This is something Daryl Cooper did a really good job of covering in his uh, series, by the way. But they were not talking about Arabs. They, 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 they very rarely mentioned them. It was like they, they kind of picked Israel because that was the place in their holy book. Um, you know what I mean? And that was like the history of, oh, this is where we started in Israel. Like those are our holy sites. But none of the early Zionists had been to Israel They had, or Palestine at the time. They had never been to, to this area. They were just like, this is the one in our holy book, so like, let's do it there. And they don't talk much about Arabs. When they do, they speak of them in pretty friendly terms. They liked the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire was, was a lot cooler to the Jews than the Russian Empire, where most of these Jews lived. And they liked them. The Ottoman Empire tended to let Jews practice their religion and work and stuff like that. Um, and so their enemy was Europeans. Europeans. That's in the early Zionist writing. The bad guy is the Europeans who keep oppressing us, and then they're like, "Look, like let's let's." They basically started organizing to like let's get people to go move to to Palestine and start a life there. And over the years, they started to gain um, some influence over like some really wealthy Jewish financiers to kind this, of like back this. this is
0: in what time period This
2: is, It starts in the late 1800s and then it kind of gets going in the, in the first, say like 15 years of, of, the, of the 20th century. They start building a little bit of momentum. They start raising more money. More Jews start settling in Palestine and things were relatively peaceful. There for, for the beginning there were like there, there were incidents here and there but like relatively speaking the Jews who lived in in Palestine there were there were um, Arab Christians and, and Arab Muslims and they lived there and it, it wasn't like a disaster um, and then things started getting much worse in uh, during and, a- and particularly after the First World War. Um, there's the basically so in the First World War the Ottoman Empire goes to war with the british empire and uh there, there were others involved as well but the ottomans and the british empire are fighting each other um and it's uh the first world war there's never been anything like it before in human history it's the biggest war at the time ever and it was very in doubt who was going to win i mean like the german like military was i think viewed as the the toughest at the time certainly they're uh they're, they're subs uh, we're like way more advanced than the other uh, countries in there. And Brit- Brit- Britain is uh, pretty desperate at this point. So the British, uh, they cut a deal with some of the, the Arab nations. So the Arabs are, are being ruled by the, the Ottoman Empire at this point. So the British convince them to rise up and fight against the Ottoman uh, Empire. And then they say, if you do that, we'll grant you your independence when the war is over and we've won. But then at the same time, they also uh, um, released the Balfour Declaration, which is – so this is in 1917. This is in the middle of World War I. And they, they write this Balfour Declaration to the Rothschilds, who were like a crazy rich, powerful banking family because they, they, were, they were Zionists. And so they write this letter – or they were pro the Zionist cause. And so he writes this letter that says like um, it pleases the king that there should be a Jewish homeland – in Palestine so but he also said in the in the declaration that um, with respect to the rights of the non-Jewish people there this is kind of vague but it was kind of like the king basically saying like hey we R- Rothschilds we could really use some money for this war so here's like a declaration that like will support a Jewish homeland in in Palestine and then they also promised promised the French uh, Syria when the war is over. So they basically were just promising anyone, whatever they can, if you help our war effort. And it's just like, we gotta win this war, we'll figure it all out after that. Mm. So then after the war, there's all of these different groups who kind of feel entitled to it, because mm-hmm. they were promised. And so the British Empire, the, the Ottoman Empire collapses after the war, they lose. Then the British Empire uh, takes control. And they take control from the end of World War I up until uh, 1947. And so the, the land was, uh, you know, under the control of European empires for hundreds of years. But if you ask me, that's not really what counts. Like what really counts is like who was living there. Um, you know, I've heard, uh, again, like Ben Shapiro uh, kind of talk about this before. I've heard um, Laura Loomer, who I just debated uh, last week for, uh, for Zero Hedge um, and they, they'll both say, they'll use this, they'll be like, oh, there's no such thing as Palestine. And there never was a thing as Palestine, you know? Like, and basically what they're saying is that there was never an official government, that this is the state government of Palestine. It's just some, a, a word people use to refer to this strip of land. So they, they don't have like a right to it because they never had like their government there. But to me, it's just like, I don't know, that's the most un American. Uh, like way of looking at that all you got to do is read our Declaration of Independence to know that that's complete bullshit right. It doesn't matter if the, that's not what counts it doesn't matter if you had a government there Re- Just read the Declaration of Independence and that wipes all of that away. Sorry. Here's the deal We're free because God says so that is self-evident and doesn't need any more explanation than that That's li- that's literally how the Declaration of Independence starts right it, we we determine that it is self-evident that God gave us freedom So no argument about that. We're free people. And governments, governments are just this thing that man institutes to protect our freedom. And you know what? If they're not doing a good job, we have every goddamn right and maybe even a duty to overthrow them and create a new one. So that destroys that case right there. These people are there and they deserve natural rights just like everybody else does. And they're, you know. So anyway, the things after this after the Balfour Declaration and after World War One, or when things start to get really, really tense. Hold that thought. i got to pee.
0: Sure. So we're going to come back. We're going to come back from World War I.
2: Okay. Sounds good.
0: All right. We're back. World War I.
2: Okay. Well, we were, at, I think, the, after World War I, yes. right? So here's, here's a little interesting uh, detail of history that I always found that's really fascinating. And so I don't – again, I'm going to give Daryl Cooper credit for this because I knew about this, but I totally missed this aspect of it. And I think – yeah, he covered it in one of, a, in one of the uh, episodes. But so there was, uh, after World War I, there was this uh, commission set up called the King Crane Commission, and it was, uh, it was run by the Americans. I believe, if I'm not mistaken on this, doub- double-check me, people who are listening on this, but I believe initially the English and the French were supposed to be on board with it too, but they pulled out. And it just ended up being the Americans, which is really uh, a shame, because it probably would have held more weight if they had stayed in it. But so the King Crane Commission basically was assigned to go on basically a fact-finding mission to the Arab world because they're trying to figure out what we're gonna do with these countries now. You know, like it's, the Ottoman Empire used to rule them, they've collapsed. It, the mentality there too was, I mean, this is like, it's it's a pretty colonial mentality too where it's like, I mean, obviously these people can't rule themselves, so like, wh- what are we gonna do? <laughs> Who's gonna figure it out, you know? Um, so they go, uh, they go to Syria and Palestine, and they basically just interview thousands of people, uh, the, the interview thousands of people, trying to figure out what's going on, what people want. I knew about this because one of the details that I always found really fascinating, which I learned from uh, Tom Woods, who's a brilliant historian, has an amazing podcast, The Tom Woods Show, um, that in, in the King Crane Commission, uh, Syria overwhelmingly uh, wanted – United States of America. They asked him, what country would you like to rule over Syria under uh, League of Nations mandate? And they overwhelmingly wanted the USA. And I just find that to be an interesting thing because it really kind of destroys the whole, they hate us for our freedom, you know, narrative. It's like, actually, no, before we started conducting wars in this part of the world, they loved us for our freedom. They liked that we were viewed as we weren't the imperialist country, right? Mm. Like, you don't want the English or the French those guys are jerks, but the Americans, they're all about limited government and freedom, right? That was the perception of us before. You know, this is this is World War I. We're not like the empire yet. Um, so I always thought that detail was interesting. But I, di- I either I read and forgot or I, I never read the part that they come back about uh, the Zionists. And they basically, they come back to Woodrow Wilson and they say point blank that they're just like, look, this thing in the Belford Declaration about like the idea of a creation of a Jewish state that is also respects the political and, and civil rights of the Arab population is just not going to work out and that it's going to take an overwhelming amount of force to do this. They said they think it's going to be an army of 50,000 people in order to force these, you know, like Arabs out and create some type of Jewish state and that it's really going to be. A, and he says to Woodrow Wilson, they say, Mr. President, you should know that if you side with the Zionist project here, you're committing not only yourself but all Americans to the use of force against these people in order to create this state and in order to maintain it. And uh, Woodrow Wilson, shortly after that, has a stroke, and uh, this advice just doesn't, you know, like get taken or anything like that. But so that's wow. that, so that's in the immediate aftermath of of World War One. Then the British take it over. They they rule it through World War Two, and then this is where. So before World War II, say in like the nineteen twenties, the Zionists are not having that much success. They're a tiny percentage of the population over in uh, uh in what is Palestine, what is today Israel. And the it's um I mean, they're living there, but this this call for all Jews around the world to move there is really not going good. Because it's a totally new world now. And the there were a lot of Jews who were very involved um, with the Bolshevik Revolution, and so now it's not the Russian Empire anymore. This is the Soviet Union, um, and the Jews. and Again, I'm not saying any conspiracy like it was the Jews who did communism. This is, but there were Jews involved in it. You know, m- lots of them weren't at all, but. Jews now are, like, given positions in government, and their their religious freedom is, is like, being respected at this point. Stalin later turns on the Jews. But at this point, he's cool with them. So that problem isn't really happening with pogroms in Eastern Europe anymore. Um, this is the Roaring Twenties now, right? So Jewish people in England, uh, Jewish people in in New York City, they're doing pretty good. So this call of, like, abandon your country, forget everything you have ever known to go live in a desert, you know, like, just isn't resonating with people. And uh, the Zionists are very adamant that they're like, no, no, you don't understand. This is the calm, but another storm's coming because another storm always comes, you know? Like they're just, oh, you think you're being accepted into this society now, but wait and see, you're gonna regret your decision to not leave and come here. And, so, and then you have the rise of the Nazis in the 1930s and then the Holocaust in the, in the 1940s. And so it the Zionists were kind of proven right in a massive way. Like kind of like, see, we warned you, and now look at you. Look what happened, you know? And so this has, uh, you know, after World War II particularly, there's a huge, you know, like influx of Zionist settlers into where Palestine is now. So now they start actually getting their numbers up to um, where they could, you know, be like – have a chance at actually creating their their own state. And then that takes us kind of to what we what I led with. I guess I did this kind of backward here, but yeah. then start to 1947 when the British uh, dropped the whole thing. And then, uh, into, you know, them them taking over control of 80% of the land uh, and then 100% of the land and then all the way up to, to today. And, you know, like, so anyway, all of that to get back to like October 7th is it's like, you know that was like a horrifically brutal attack, and it's just like un it's like unfathomable and I know they you know a lot of people do compare that to the pogroms um or call that a pogrom but there there is like it is a different situation than what was happening in in eastern Europe to jews it's a different situation than what happened under the
0: holocaust it's what, just you know what was the original hatred from the original hatred in eastern europe um you know that i think it was there
2: was a lot of anti-semitism I'm not exactly sure in that in that culture what it was that they blamed the jews for um I think that the jews were uh, they were a distinct minority who had a different religion and different traditions and kind of like you know what I mean and and i, I you know I don't know i i'd, I'd, I'd have to read into that more like what the stated grievances were but i'm telling you that i know one of them was that when viruses were going around they'd blame the jews for practicing black magic and so i do think some of them were just on that goofy level of it was just like tribalist
0: hatred did you ever see that really old cartoon where at one point in time it was a a, like a jew dressed as a wolf Oh, what was that? Like a Nazi? Oh, wolf dressed as a Jew. No, it was like a fucking like an old Mickey Mouse cartoon. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know if I've seen this one. I can't remember this it, is, but there were some Look at this. Oh yeah, wow. It's a wolf dressed as a Jew. Look at this. So no, it wasn't a wolf. Yeah, see, there it is. So he's oh, it was a wolf. wolf pretending to be a Jew? Yes.
2: Oh, I took that all the wrong way at first. I thought it was a Jew no. <laughs> pretending to be a wolf.
0: No. Now so like I get it. was a wolf with a Jew mask on. But how crazy is that? And, and this think, is 1933. Yeah. How wild is that? Yeah, it is, it is pretty wild to see. Three Little Pigs, 1933, the Jew peddler scene. Now, didn't they change it in the future? I think in the future they redid it and they turned it into just a wolf. Yeah, so this is the one on the right, see? What? It's the, the cleaned up version. They stopped having it be oh, a Jew okay. and had it yeah, be yeah, a wolf yeah, yeah. pretending <laughs> to be a person. That was the,
2: the first iteration of wokeness yeah. was they were like, yeah, we can't really get away with that Jew thing anymore. Isn't
0: that wild?
2: It is pretty wild. You know what's wild about like, uh, that time um, when you see like the, uh, the propaganda that was for adults? Clearly, at that time. Um, but it would be cartoons. Have you ever seen the one? There's the one where it's a Daffy Duck. Is it Daffy Duck? Or wait, I'm confusing the two ducks. It's one of those ducks, but it's a whole, like, pay your taxes I I thing. Think. Is it Donald? Yes, Donald Duck. Sorry, yeah. I always get I always get those confused. And I got little kids. I should be better. And then this. there's uh, the
0: one duck that's, like, really rich. Who's the one? Well, that was Duck. Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, I Scrooge McDuck. Yes. Uncle, uncle Scrooge. <laughs> Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge. That's right. Yeah, That's he was right. his uncle, right?
2: Uh, but do you ever see the one I'm talking about, where it's like, pay your taxes? I do believe it's I this see. one. Yes,
0: let me see that.
3: Uh, it's a, uh, might be a
0: Disney that war propaganda. Let's well, let's. D- Donald Duck versus taxes. It's just Here it comes. The video looks. Wow. 1943.
4: Yes, payday. Millions of dollars pouring into the hands of the American worker. Now, in the mind of the average worker, live two separate personalities. One, the thrifty.
0: Scrooge. You
4: wait a bit, laddie. You're going to save a bit of that, aren't you? Oh, <laughs> Oftentimes, idle money burns a hole in your pocket, which brings out the other personality. <laughs> the spendthrift.
0: Look at this, he's a pimp. <laughs> All right, big shot. Come on with me.
4: I'll show you how to spend your dough. i got a couple of good dates. But, laddie, I've got some better dates. Important ones, too. When every American should pay his or her income tax gladly and proudly. This year, thanks to Hitler and Hirohito, taxes are higher than ever before. Will you have enough money on hand to meet your payments when they fall due? Ah, we'll take care of that later. But you don't want to forget our fighting men, do you? Then you'll have to start saving right away to meet your tax payments. (laughs) Listen, chum, Spend
2: it. Yeah, it goes on, I think, for a while. But isn't it like, is it crazy this is for grown-ups? Yeah.
4: You must save for victory. What's money for? Spend it. Shoot the works. Wow.
0: He's trying to get him to the idle hour club. <laughs> oh, look, it's a Nazi swastika. Ah, uh, you see? And that's wow. what happens when you don't give your taxes. You go to the idle hour club. It's a swastika for a front door. No, you didn't pay your taxes you support your boys. Look, he's got swastikas in his eyes. did look like Oh, my God. They gave me a Hitler mustache. And a little swoop. And a swastika for a tie. Oh, my God. This is crazy. And then how, like... Well, you know, it was pretty easy to distribute propaganda back then. Yeah, you could make cartoons for grown-ups, and oh. that would convince them. Look like, what they did with Reefer Madness. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, for madness in what is it the 30s when they put uh-huh. that out? I think That's so. Yeah, fucked people up for a hundred years. I
2: know. It's and it's amazing that it says something about how different our uh, culture is, though. That like that type of propaganda would work back then, and how much more sophisticated it has to be today. You know, like it was yeah. like a simpler time. Well, now when it's that a get you.
0: Yeah, if you yeah. watch Reefer Madness now, it's a comedy. Like a thing that was meant to terrify you is now unintentionally hilarious. Yeah, and and just imagine like if people if if someone from like say like you took someone from the
2: 1930s and just showed them like an action movie today uh, like like a high def action movie they'd be like what in the world right. is this like they right. would just blow their minds you show know what them i mean show fast and the furious yeah, like, 15 like, like or whatever it is. or you like they're yeah. used to a, a movie uh, where
0: it's like ah see now hey, we got a dame coming and then like you just showed them this it'd be like just isn't it also interesting that we accepted a certain very specific way of talking that is completely unnatural for a narrator, a narrator to be explaining what is happening to Donald Duck? Yeah. I, uh, it's like a weird fucking DJ
2: voice thing. I, I was watching uh, recently with my daughter the, uh, the original Frosty the Snowman movie, mm. and the movie just opens with some guy. You know, he's just like, it was, the, it was the foist snow of the season and yeah. all frosty would come up. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's just such a, I actually found it kind of great. Cause I was like, this is just such a lost like thing. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad she's seeing this. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause it's just such a different time and a different, you know what I mean? Like uh, uh, a different voice and mm-hmm. a di- like it's, it's, very strange. It's it's kind of cool in a way. I am interested cool. in that time period. Well, I mean, not so the much the pay your tax propaganda. No. That part I don't like. <laughs> but Frosty
0: the Snowman. But Frosty is no, yeah. Frosty was cool. Yeah, yeah. I got, that guy was all right. Um, the Freeze Meister. Yeah, yeah. Remember that dude?
3: How, I'm just I'm thinking. How would you have seen this in 1943 when it came out? Like in before, probably the movie theaters like before something like it just, yeah. They played a bunch of shit. Like yeah, yeah,
0: I'd imagine movie they the, theaters. They'd play the news in movie right. theaters. So you'd yeah, yeah. go to the movie theater and they would show you what is going on in World War Two. Allied troops. They would yeah. show you like, talk footage. about, bah. but you talk about how easy it would be to just capture the
2: narrative completely back then. For you sure. know, like it was uh, well, I mean, false flags. They were yeah. so easy to pull off. Yep.
0: Look at the Gulf of Tonkin. Uh huh. No, so that's... so easy to pull off.
2: Yeah, they they would get away with a lot of that stuff. And then you know, look, it's obviously, you know, World War, in World War One. Like to me, World War One is the big one. I think Woodrow Wilson's the worst president in the history of the United States of America. Uh, he did more damage to just the entire world and particularly our country. He's the guy, you know. Like I hate him because he created the Federal Reserve and the income tax, uh, or signed them into law in his administration. But he's the one getting us into World War I. And this is why my thing isn't like, oh, I blame Israel for everything or I blame the Jews for everything. I blame Washington, D.C. for everything. Like I really – I mean, again, not everything. Bad things happen in the world. But there's so much responsibility on, on the U.S. federal government because basically World War I was a war that we never should have been involved in. It had nothing to do with us. Um, it was a war between European monarchies you know what I mean, battling over who runs the world. And all of the advice of all of our founding fathers was like that's exactly why we're here to not be a part of that, right? Like if you read anything that, uh, that Adams or Thomas Jefferson or George Washington said about foreign policy, it was all like that is what you do not do. Do not get into entangling alliances between these despots, that's not what we're here for. What we're here is to be a city on a hill, to have free people, you know, that's, I mean, Short as they may have fallen of that vision. The whole slavery thing was a pretty big one. But regardless, that was what they said. And then World War I comes along and it's like textbook. Like, D- yes, don't get involved in this. And the war was basically fought to a stalemate before America got involved. And then America got involved and tipped the balances over. So much so that not only was it not a stalemate anymore, but they got an unconditional surrender out of the Germans. And then because they got this unconditional surrender, they forced the Treaty of Versailles on the Germans and totally like just, you know, devastated germany and humiliated them in front of the world and then that's the ground by which the nazis rise up and then that's the ground by which we're in a second world war you know what i mean uh and so and then these two things the first world war and the second world war just the biggest bloodbaths in human history just goddamn horrific i mean you know you think if we if we think now oh it's it's kind of depressing how bad things are going in this area or this area i mean man Nothing is like the two world wars that we fought in the 20th century nothing. just nothing just people by the tens of millions Dying, I mean just to put in perspective and this this assault on Gaza is pretty damn awful And what are the estimates like 10,000 people died there? It's, it's horrific and I don't know if those numbers are exactly right or not a lot of that does come from Hamas So I don't know but a lot of people are dying thousands of people are dying for sure for sure but by the tens of millions People were dying in the world wars, and it's just like the, it's on a level you can't even fathom
0: right, but the real fear is that that could escalate again, and that we could have yep. something like that again, and it's much more scary now
2: well, yes, but uh, the prospect of a world war is we have um you know much more power and much more devastating military weapons than we ever did, so yeah, you really want to avoid one now even more than you wanted to avoid it there, but I mean basically i I'd say that it's just like Right. And and look, would you say there's the threat of it spreading to a wider conflict, there's no question about that. I mean, you got you got Hezbollah right there in Lebanon. They're a strong fighting force, man, and they really hate the Israelis because Israel occupied them for a, for a while, and they successfully drove Israel out of southern Lebanon. And you've got Iran, of course, who the Israelis have, have hated for years, and they hate them right back too. And there's been a whole bunch of people in Washington, D.C. who have been have been dying for a war with Iran for a long time now. I mean, they wanted that war in Iran under George W. Bush. They didn't get it. Um, but they, this was, if you know, we always go back to that um, Wesley Clark, mm-hmm. the plan of all the countries they were going to topple. Iran is the last one. And they say that he says that specifically, ending with Iran, like that's the goal, you know. Yeah. And so you have them in the region, you have, uh, you know, the the Saudi Saudis in the region, you know. There's all, but the Houthis now who have have are are flirting with joining into this conflict against uh, Israel. So there's a whole like possibility for this to spread to a wider war, and I just think that it's like um, the response so far from Israel. And the response from the U.S. government of basically saying, yeah, we'll, we're going to back them no matter what they do is the most dangerous way to handle this, because you are really now um, risking this thing escalating and getting out of control. And if you want an actual solution to this, I just the only way to actually do it is you just like y- you just got to let these people go. You just got to let them be free. And I'm not saying that there's no, I'm not like some type of hippie on this. I'm not saying that like there should be no violence as a response to October 7th. I mean, ob- obviously Israel has every right after that to try to kill those people who, who came and did that to them. Obviously, I think first you try to negotiate all the hostages out, which there is some attempt to be, to being done right now, but they have every right to like find those people and kill them. But you should do it in a way that absolutely leads to the least amount of civilian casualties possible and not talk in this rhetoric about flattening gaza doing whatever it takes uh, to to get rid of hamas which is like what okay what does that even mean what uh-huh. would it take like uh-huh. how many tens of thousands of babies got to die in order for you to do that and that's a that's a much different thing than just saying like the people who did this attack you know what i mean like that we're going to flatten all of gaza those are very different things and but the the reality is that people make you know like oh, i was debating this Laura loomer Uh, uh, Lady and she's saying to me the whole time. Basically. It's like it's like George W. Bush stuff It's like oh, it's radical Islamic terrorism And it's the problem is Islam and the problem is that they're just so crazy And they're just so barbaric and they just hate us for our freedom and so you can't give them their freedom because blah. blah." then there and it's like look man, there is If the problem is just radical Islam Well, there's a there's a big issue with that right and it's that Israel has had peace with Egypt since the 1970s. Israel has had peace with Saudi Arabia. Uh, Israel has had peace with, with Jordan. Israel, all of these surrounding like, Arab countries haven't gone to war with Israel for decades, you know? And what do you didn't tell me? There's not a radical Islam problem in Egypt? You think there's not a radical Islam? How about Saudi Arabia? You know what I mean? Like, there's, these are ra- there are plenty of issues with radical Islamists in those countries, but they're not constantly going to war with, with Israel and part of that's because Israel doesn't occupy them you know like they have the issues that Israel has had has been in southern Lebanon with Hezbollah and in Gaza with with uh, Hamas and with years ago some terrorists in, in the West Bank um, there's all the areas that they occupied you know and so like the only answer here is to just like let these people go let them have their freedom do, what, do whatever you can to, like, targeted operations to take out the people who are responsible for October 7th. But you got to really offer them a deal and not, like, the deals that they pretended to offer them in the past. Because I know that's the other narrative, too, that, that Ben Shapiro types, like, say all the time is, we offered them everything. We offered them everything they wanted and they said no. Which, just on the face of it, should sound a little ridiculous to you. How many negotiations do you know that go that way? Right. Here's everything you want. No. I'll continue to be occupied. <laughs> like, What? This
0: is ridiculous. Um, and So, what it, what is the solution? Like, th- is there a solution in terms of like a percentage of land that you have to give back to them? Yeah, and creating well, a different relationship. I think that uh, the and is that even possible? If, if Hezbollah exists, is that even possible? Well, Hezbollah is over in, in Lebanon. I'm sorry, uh, so you're Hamas. Hamas. If Hamas even, yeah. even exists, um, is that even possible?
2: Well, look, I mean, right now, obviously, like we're in the they're in the middle of a war. Um, And so this is, you know, but I'll say this. When Arafat, um, who was was the leader of Palestine for a while there, when he came to the table and even what Hamas, like I mentioned this earlier, even what Hamas has said in the past is that they agree to recognize Israel in 67 borders. Then the 67 borders are referring to before the war in 1967. 1967 borders. Yes, so the, what they refer to when they say that is, you know, when I said the UN recommended the Israel, the Jews get 56% of it, they fight this war, they ended up getting closer to 80% of it. Mm-hmm. That's, 60, that's 67 borders. Israel gets 80% of it. But there's, and they're, now- So I'm, they're
0: willing to accept 80-20? They,
2: they have said they're willing to accept 80-20, on the record, many and, times and now, they've also there's also been lots of rhetoric that you know, like Hamas has used that's that kind of you know counters that. But I think there's almost no question that they would take that deal if they if, were offered. And
0: it. if it's 80-20, what happens to all the Jewish settlers that live in the area that's now part of that twenty?
2: Well, and that, how many
0: people are we talking about?
2: Um, you know, I don't know the exact numbers. There's not they they already moved out the settlers who were uh, in the Gaza area they do have uh settle settlements in the west bank and i don't know what exactly the the negotiation of that would be but you know the truth is that it was illegal for israel to build those settlements and there's explain a violation the, of international law s- settlements yeah, well they just kind of kept moving because this is basically the since the the late 1970s they've been in what they called the peace process where the government of Israel has kind of said that one day de- we're working toward giving them their own state at some point. Um, but then they just kept building these settlements on Palestinian territory and like building these big Jewish settlements there. And then it's like, oh, yeah, no, there's no this is just indicating that there's no plan to, to move you know what I mean, to ever move toward granting the Arabs independence.
0: In so that. is it individuals that are doing these settlements? Is, are they being guided uh, or that's a, funded? Because one of the things that I saw that was like super disturbing, I don't know how accurate this is or what the actual story was, was there was a, a Jewish settler who had taken over the home that a Palestinian family had had at yeah. one point in time.
2: Yeah, how yeah. does that work? Well, you know that's uh, there there have been cases of that. Well, it works because the government allows them to do it. And that those Palestinians people have no rights, and if they decide they're going to do it, they let them do it. And, and it, this has kind is of been what's going on
0: the whole time. Palestine, or is it in Israel?
2: Is it in Gaza? There, I I don't know the specific story you're talking about, but I do know that the there's been in both for years in both Gaza and the West Bank, which are basically you know the two the two big sections that are Palestinian territory, but really controlled by the Israelis. Um, that they've done. There's been settlement building on both sides of them. I don't know the specifics of that uh, that story, but there's been there's little stories of like really you know fucked up things happening on on all of this, and it's been it's been waves of that for a very long time. So those I, people have all moved out since October seventh. Is that what you're saying? Wait you're the saying settlers? no in Gaza? Oh, it's, no, yes. they moved out before that. So they uh so in in two thousand five the um. The Israelis did move all those settlers out and they uh, they if the way they'll say it is they ended the occupation of Gaza. The a more accurate thing is that the IDF pulled out of internally martial law style. Policing Gaza and it's like uh, Sheldon Richmond who as I mentioned before wrote a great book uh, on this topic coming to America the way he described it is he goes it's kind of like if all the prison guards left the prison but they locked all of the doors and surrounded the perimeter you know Mm. and then they went oh see we freed you (laughs) you know it's Mm. like no that's not so it's then so they pull out they still controlled the border they still controlled what went in and out there's no airport they they have no seaport they're not allowed to come and go as they please they need permission from from the israelis in order to do so they control the electricity the utilities the amount of medicine that gets in and this is why international you know human rights organizations like uh, amnesty international and human rights watch they they say They were like, no, this is still occupied territory. Like, sorry, sorry, that doesn't count. That just because you're not doing martial law anymore doesn't mean it's not an occupied territory. But then it was – so this was in 2005. And then in 2006, uh, at the insistence of the Americans – because this is George W. Bush when we were going on that whole spreading democracy around the world thing. Remember how great that was? That worked out. Um, Yeah, it was fantastic. And so – Condoleezza Rice and George W. Bush, they were the one that insisted that they should have elections in Gaza. So they kind of like – it was their idea. And um, that this is when Hamas won. Uh, They won like a plurality uh, and and took like most of the seats in their little like uh, parliament thing or whatever it is. And um, so that was – and that's what a lot of people refer back to when they go – you know, um, today, a lot of the hawks who are, who are supporting the war, you'll hear them say, oh, they voted for Hamas. So this is kind of what they get because they voted for Hamas. They're talking about back in 2005, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, I mean, half the population there, I think, is under 18. So n- none of them even voted in, in that election. You know what I mean? Right. And it's not like they won like, uh, like an overwhelming super majority or anything like that. But so that's what uh, – so it was around that time in 2005 when they did get those settle uh those those settlements out the Israeli government forced them. I think they kind of did like a um like I think they they paid them off to move type of thing. So like an eminent domain mm-hmm. deal like where you know here take this money you got to move but you don't have any choice about it. You got to move. Right. So that might be a necessary part of uh of some of this or maybe an arrangement could be worked out where those settlements are kept. I do just think that it's um if you if you want to move toward any type of serious solution to this in, in the same way, you know, like the other week that Osama bin Laden's uh, letter to America went like super viral yeah. on, on TikTok and then they scrubbed it off of the Guardian as a response to it, which is just number one. Like, what is that? Doesn't that just say everything about our society? Is that that's the response to scrub it off the Guardian? Take it down so people can't see it. The Guardian, being the newspaper, covered it. Yeah, they had uh, they had published it, and it had been up there, I think, since. And what were they? They were concerned that it was encouraging people to support it. Yeah, like a bunch of a bunch of TikTokers, like young lefty TikTokers, Mm -hmm. started like making these videos where they're like, "Osama bin Laden was right about everything," and then they were getting heat for it, so they just took it down. I mean, you can still find it like on the archives and stuff, but still,
0: a lot of people's videos are still up,
2: right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm not on TikTok. I kind of just saw on Twitter when people were sharing the TikTok videos. So I don't know if they were taking them down. I know TikTok takes down stuff pretty quickly. I don't know. I don't know what they were doing with uh,
0: with that. I don't. Why would they take that down, though? If I was a Chinese run propaganda corporation, uh, TikTok removes hashtag for Osama bin Laden's letter to America after viral videos circulate. So they just remove the hashtag? The Guardian also pulled the text of the Al Qaeda founders letter from its website after people cited it on TikTok and X. That's uh not the correct response. <laughs> yeah, I, just- I was I mean, listen, Osama bin Laden was trained by the United States. Like the he was a part of our, our thing to run the mujahideen to fight the soviets and not
2: just trained but trained for a specific uh uh reason Uh, trained to lure a superpower into a war in afghanistan that will bankrupt them yeah i mean we trained about how to do it and then fell for it the idea that you shouldn't
0: read that guy's words oh it's well it just tells you that like like that's not justifying september 11th yeah like it's just like understand that there's a lot of contributing factors well, to yes. all of these global conflicts. Yeah, educate yourself yeah. and look like
2: the t- people were all arguing about it too because obviously it's kind of stupid for like a young TikToker to be like the takeaway is that he was a good guy or something Bleh. like that. Like that's pretty ridiculous. But then people would like kind of point to what they want to in the situation. But basically, the letter says it's like I mean to sum it up, it's kind of like um, he goes you You know, you may be wondering why we attack you, well, we attack you because you attack us. and then a whole bunch of Islamist talk, a whole bunch of praise be to Allah and Sharia law, she'll sweep the world and all of that. and then a list of grievances along with that. And one of the major ones is what? It's that we we prop up Israel. Who has stolen the land from the Palestinian and keeps them under subjugation, that we have military bases in their holy land in Saudi Arabia, that we use those bases for the bombing and sanction campaigns that killed so many Iraqi babies, and that we prop up these dictators in Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And, like, I think the takeaway from that is not... Therefore, Osama bin Laden was right to kill a bunch of innocent people in the Twin Towers because that's stupid and evil. And it's the it's the same justification in a way. But I, I shouldn't even say this. Not in a way. Osama bin Laden made the exact same argument that the people who are saying they voted for Hamas, therefore we can kill them are making. That's what he said. He was like, you vote for your government and your government does all this stuff to us. So you, American citizen, are fair game. For us to attack and any decent persons to just immediately reject that. Yeah. Like, no, it doesn't follow that because you have elections, that therefore, if any crime that Bill Clinton commits, you can now go kill some baby. For like that's insane. That doesn't make any sense. But in the same sense, the idea that some Palestinian baby doesn't have any rights in his fair game to just be blown up. And even if you want to make the argument that, like, okay, but we're not trying to blow up that baby. We're just willing to blow up that baby while we're trying to catch some bad guys. It's just like that's just not right. It's just like that's not fair. That's not just. That's we would never. We would never accept that if we were talking about our kids. You know what I mean? Like uh, if if some murderer, even a, a mass murderer, ran into a daycare and you know held a bunch of people as hostages and said using them as human shields. Let's say. We would never say, okay, well, the sheriff department's going to come down and blow up the building." We'd be like, "Wait, what? Right? Like that's insane, dude. Like, what you, well, you couldn't even imagine if that was suggested, if it was, like, our kids there. Right. You'd be like, uh, out of, what are you, out of your mind? Okay, take that option, take that off the table. What else you got, you know? Right. And, like, but why should that be acceptable, like, in this case? Well, the
0: argument against it is that Hamas is doing this on purpose and that they're putting all of these uh, military bases. Oh, this is another thing you brought up. You said that there was this talk of tunnels that were under one of the hospitals, and you said some of it was... Computer generated images. Yeah. Well, so this is just a uh, just recently. So the the
2: uh, Al Shifa uh, hospital there, right? So the Israeli government said there was like a raid on the hospital, and they uh, they said that this was there was a huge like network of tunnels, and that this was basically their command center was under this this hospital, and they they created a computer generated like image of what they say it looks like what's under there um and it, it kind of Do you ever remember uh i think it was colin powell who had the ones of osama bin laden's layers mm. it was like this crazy complicated none of it none of that was real
0: um so but they that's right there that was like a, th- there was like super sophisticated structures yeah, super inside computers the and or, it's yeah. like yeah inside
2: of like of like like looks like a volcano type yeah. thing and this is where they're playing oh none, find of that, that. Find none of that none of that was real
0: wild. by the way um, the Colin Powell's uh diagram of Osama bin Laden's super sophisticated uh evil villain lair that was carved I, I into think, the side of a mountain I think it was in the
2: same UN speech where he brought the vials of the, I might be wrong about Anthrax. that it might have been from a different yeah 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 I think I, I it might have been a different one but uh yeah um but so so they released that and then they go in and they rate now part of I think you know the reason why they were suggesting that's what it is is because it would you know, it would require such a justification because when you're going and attacking a hospital, you know, like you'd need something really crazy to be under there. Right. Um, and then, look, it's kind of it's a little bit in doubt exactly what it is. So they get there and the IDF releases videos of um, in the hospital and there's like a couple rifles in the hospital.
0: Wasn't there also videos of uh, Hamas like funneling hostages through a hospital or something like that?
2: That one I have not seen. Um, but th- in this video, they just basically show you there are some weapons, and then they showed you kind of like the opening of like what appears to be a tunnel underneath uh-huh. uh, the hospital. But they say, "Oh, it's booby trapped, and so we can't go in there, and no journalists can go in there, so we don't actually see what's." Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like exactly what's going on. Like there certainly hasn't been any proof that it was exactly what the computer uh, uh, generated image was. Then uh, another interesting uh, little detail here is- uh, But there is a tunnel opening. Yes, for sure. But then Barack, who was the former uh, prime minister of of Israel, he said recently in an interview, uh, he said, we know that there's tunnels there because we built them. And so and the, the interviewer questions him again. She goes, I'm sorry, did you misspeak? Or did you say, you know, that there were tunnels there because you built them? And he goes, no, no, I'm saying we built them back when we were in, when we were doing martial law. And the IDF was in Gaza in the 80s. We built this tunnel underneath this hospital. So we know that it's there. Um, So I guess they he said they built it to like expand the hospital or something like that. Um, But it was a weird admission. So it's like because he's saying we know it's there because we built it. But then the real question isn't that. So then if you say that, well, then just showing me the picture of a tunnel proves nothing at all, because that's not even indicating that Hamas is using this as some type of central you know command station right. um so the question is what was being used there and by the way i am not at all to be clear i'm not saying like i wouldn't be shocked if i found out that there were hamas people and it that that, was in that be yeah like all of this could be Makes true sense. but we have not seen any evidence to back up that claim mm-hmm. we've just heard uh you know assertions made by the israeli government um so that's you
0: know what i mean did that's, you find that colin powell thing
3: the, the smallest picture of all time uh, it wasn't a very good picture at all, and then I found the speech he had. the speech didn't have the video or the pictures of it. I'll show you what I found you
0: know, you know they, they found, found, uh, found the good. uh the temple of the first yes. emperor of China and I think they found it in nineteen seventy four this is from they they buried him two thousand two hundred years ago and okay. they uh protected him with terracotta statues of soldiers. you ever seen this no and they're terrified to go into the 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 tomb. Because there's all these writings about it having rivers of mercury and booby trapped and really? have, and it's supposed to be like unbelievable riches. But it's so they're so concerned, like trying to send a scientist through there and trying to open it up and find out what would happen I mean, even two thousand two hundred years later, that there yeah, literally that's... might be rivers of mercury. That's awaiting. pretty wild. Some fucking Indiana Jones shit. Yeah. Have you ever seen what it looks like? No, I don't think Dude, so. Dude, it's insane. They f- I believe they found it in 74 ish, somewhere around then. Okay. And this is the very first emperor of China. And as they uncovered more and more and more, they found an, a literal army. I don't know how many, what the number of these terracotta statues of soldiers, but it's fucking insane. Wow. And this is all lined up in front of his tomb. How many of them were there? Uh, So find find the the first emperor, find the tomb of the first emperor of China.
3: Uh, 8,000 soldiers, 130 chariots, 520 horses.
0: 150 cavalry horses, the majority of which remain in situ in the pits near, I don't know how to say that. King Shi Huang's mausoleum. Other non-military tele- terracotta figures were found in other pits, including officials, acrobats, strongmen, and musicians. Do you think about
2: how much effort it would have taken to make all
0: of that two thousand years ago? Here it is: one hundred flowing rivers were simulated using mercury, and above them. The ceiling was decorated with heavenly bodies below which lay the features of the land. Some translations of this passage refer referred to models or imitations. However, those words were not used in the original text, which also makes no mention of the terracotta army. High levels of mercury were found in the soil of the tomb mound, giving credence to, I don't know how to say his name, Simi Kwan's account. Also, the emperor is well documented for building monumental statues in human form during his reign, such as the 12 Metal Colossi. What is that? Click on that, 12
3: Metal Colossi. What is that? 12 meters high. Oh. Let's find a picture.
0: Why do they call it 12 metal? 12 Metal Colossi's.
3: 12 bronze statues cast, let's see.
0: Is there photos of these things? Not there. But how crazy is that? There's, there is high levels of mercury in the soil, and they're really concerned that if they open up a yeah. door, rivers of mercury will s- flow out and kill everybody. Like, how much yeah, that- mercury did they get? Where did you get all that mercury?
2: Why were you storing all that mercury down how there? How did you store all yeah. that mercury?
0: How did it, how'd you know that it would fucking stay there and not kill everybody? How did you get it there? Yeah. How many people died moving it there? Yeah, there's some... rivers of mercury see like you would say ordinarily that's nonsense but the amount of dedication they had towards their emperor that they were building this after and the he was fact dead... that the
2: soil tested. Yeah, high in mercury. Those two combined does make it enough where, like, I'm not opening it up. Jesus Christ. I'd like someone else to do it and bring a video camera, but I'm not going to be there. Yeah,
0: can't we send some robots to open that up? But imagine if it just flows out. Like, that would be so wild. Get some GoPro footage of rivers of 2,200-year-old mercury. Yeah, that would be pretty nuts. How much would it take to do that? Like, how much mercury would you need? Like, what are we talking about? Where's mercury come from? I I how do you even get it? have no answer for you on how this possibly could be true. How do you get mercury? Like if you want to get mercury for a thermometer, where are you getting that? I don't know. I've never even thought of it. Yeah, me not either. until right now. I never yeah. even thought where could one get mercury. Well, you know, who thought a lot about it? Is about it. Chinese people. I guess they put the a lot of th- thought into it. I guess it. The fuck they did. <laughs> if they have rivers of mercury waiting to kill you if you open up the tomb. Mercury occurs naturally in the Earth's crust. It's released into the environment from volcanic activity, weathering of rocks, and as a result of human activity. So how would you produce mercury? How do you refine it? It's a naturally occurring chemical element found in rock in the Earth's crust. So they figured this out 2,000 years ago, how to refine this? What did they do? Like, how did
3: they refine it?
0: Like, how did they get it? To the point where there's so much of it, you have rivers of it?
3: That cinnabar yeah. stuff came up before when we were looking at stuff. Uh, I think maybe with primer rescue.
0: An ore in combination with cinnabar. It tends to be found in high concentration and geographic...
3: Grinding cinnabar. Wow. I know they used it for red, like anything red back Not for forever. was.
0: Imagine if that's your job and you know it's going to kill you. You have to make mercury for the the emperor's temple. To, to to set up a booby trap. So you're out there just making mercury all day, just dying. I bet, the, then
3: then they bet those people, people have pride in their job. New in their people. job. They're you like, hey, so?
2: someone's got to make the emperor's mercury, you know? I'm out here doing it. I wonder.
3: And you need mercury to get gold.
2: Oh, wow.
0: How's that?
3: I'm looking at something that says cinnabar is a mineral from which mercury is extracted. Both are highly toxic. Few countries still permit cinnabar mercury mining. Mercury was very important in gold mining, so
0: well, they had a right. lot of gold back then, right? Didn't they?
3: Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's when they were starting.
0: So to that's probably a side effect of their gold mining—is that they had all this mercury? Does that make sense? I don't no, know. How are, you getting, how are you getting rivers of it? Yeah, like the rivers the, of it don't really make sense to me. But that also may
2: not be true. What
0: is? Uh, yeah, well, it might be true though. That's yeah. If there's
2: high levels of mercury, yeah, in the no, soil, that is. I will say that would gives that gives you a little bit of pause. I,
3: yeah. yeah. One thing I've heard that it hasn't come up a lot is like when people there's all those uh, puddles on the ground. If not puddles, are just like reservoirs of water to look at the stars. It's easier to look down than to look up all night. Mm-hmm. So they would make something reflective to show the stars coming up, like coming over in certain patterns or whatnot. Oh. Mercury is also highly reflective, so if they had Ooh, puddles of mercury mercury. that they would
0: use for like mirrors. So look at the stars. Wow. Yeah, maybe. But so the amount of effort,
2: theoretically, to collect all this mercury, rivers of it, and store it in there for what
0: purpose? Booby trap. Just so that you couldn't come in? So if someone comes in, they get flooded with mercury and they never get to the emperor's riches. Oh, okay. Apparently, there's fucking a gajillion dollars worth of shit in there. (laughs) Ooh, all right. See, now you made it a
2: little bit more interesting. Okay, I didn't realize that's what they were keeping you from. Uh, So now are you going to roll the dice on the rivers of Mercury
0: for a jillion dollars? Roll the dice, pussies. Come on. Get a hazmat suit and a fucking scuba. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Don't they have those fucking DARPA robots? Get one of them DARPA robots to lift off the lid. Yeah, I can't believe you couldn't, like, figure something out yeah Yeah, like one of those
2: uh those like the bomb you know robots you see them sometimes in like Times square or something like
0: that but if it's really river then you're gonna lose all the terracotta statues which are like a national treasure well you want to roll the dice on more treasure you got to risk some statues maybe you have to move the statues can you imagine i mean they they moved entire temples in in egypt you ever see what they did no oh my god what an undertaking. So, Massive, enormous statues. They and why did they sawed move them? them and moved them. I believe it was to make room for a dam. Uh, okay. I think that's what it was. But, but so they took it apart oh and then my put God, it back they together? they took it apart and put it back together again. Wow. And, you know, these epic works of stone art from thousands and thousands of years ago. And they're fucking sawing them and lifting them and moving them. It's such a weird thing. So I like, could find that footage because it's crazy what they did. Isn't
2: it weird to think about the idea like like we we build some buildings to be cool looking buildings today, you know what I mean? Like some of the new buildings we build, but almost all of them are just built with like a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's so it's so like weird to think about a time when human beings were just like in the game of building gigantic monuments to look cuz like you imagine in a world with like uh with with the, well, look, I guess we don't know exactly what technology they had at the time, but just like back then like to just go and see the pyramids or something like
0: that Ugh. would just be like, whoa I, I would if I had like a moment in history like they're gonna only pick one time where I could exist in like a, a bulletproof bubble where nothing could touch me but I could stand and observe just I would want to be like right at the plateau like right in front of the Great Pyramid. what did you do? Yeah that... what what was your culture like? How did you guys do this? no one knows it's a hundred percent guesswork when they talk about the construction of it it's the dumbest theories none of them make any sense not a single one from the simple fact that they're cutting these things from a quarry that was hundreds of miles away and they're moving these fucking giant stones many of them weigh 50 tons plus yeah through the mountains through the mountains 500 miles to get to giza how and,
2: and every like um attempted explanation always just falls short. All it's like they used pulleys and ropes and it's levers, it's so and,
0: spectacular what they did that it defies any conventional explanation. If you told a, a construction company that they had to do that and they had to do it within the life of a pharaoh, which is the most ridiculous proposal, because if you cut and place 10 stones a day, I believe it is. It would take you six hundred and sixty four years to make the pyramid cut and placed massive in Nor- so this is it they they sawed this fucking face off. they saw this whole thing it's it's crazy when you see the video footage of it because that thing they moved all of that and they moved it over a relatively short period of time, a couple
1: of years. which wow. is
0: so nuts and so they sawed it and moved it and sawed it and moved it. You know, what's one of the most amazing things that I've um, been uh, educated on about uh, Egypt is not even just the pyramids. The pyramids are insane, but their pottery is nuts. Their pottery is nuts. They have taken um, computer uh, measurements of it. So they've taken like You mean like their 3D, ancient pottery? Yeah, like 3D. Some of their pottery is not pottery. It's carved out of insanely hard stone in perfect symmetry with a handle where if you spin it on a on a wheel it's perfect it's within yeah. a less than a human hair difference on each side and we have no idea how they did it yeah like how they're po- just they're, they're just these these cer- they're not ceramic these stone vases they build defy explanation. Well, it's it's yeah, and that's that's
2: part of the thing about the pyramids too, right? It's the level of precision. It's the level of like how they face true north, yeah. east, and west. Not and like just the, that, yeah.
0: the faces. Right, the right. The Faces are
2: perfectly symmetrical, and, and from our understanding of what, tech, what technology they had, that, like what the official historical kind of, you know, what they would say. It's like, well, that just makes no sense. But none
0: of You're it You're saying makes with no sense.
2: technology they were able to do this thing that we with our modern technology can't figure out. Exactly. That doesn't make sense. It's like something else. And the thing, and I learned I learned all this stuff from you. Like I didn't know nothing about this until I, I heard you talk about it uh, years ago. But the water erosion on the Sphinx is a really big one too that I've never heard a satisfactory
3: like rebuttal too. Yeah,
0: these are the inter- these are all interesting things that they're making, Jamie. But the ones that are really fucking oh, I insane. Know. I
3: know, but it says like they're keeping their ancestor traditions alive. Yeah. It shows them digging with these crazy tools into the ground. And right, doing... but
0: they're also using steel, supposedly steel what hadn't even been invented then. They were just using copper. These guys are all using steel. I mean, look, it's this is all beautiful work, but this is not those vases, those impossibly symmetric vases. The, some of these things um, that you see them, they're like insanely hard. And okay, there's no evidence of a diamond use in ancient Egypt, all those substances like that must have been utilized. Some of these vases, you know, when they they find the perfectly intact ones, they're impossibly symmetrical. And they, they seem to have been carved out where they have like a very small lip, but they go inside and it's perfectly carved out in the center, like how would you do that? How did you do that, and how did you make it perfectly symmetrical? Uh, you're not even spinning it on a wheel because you have handles on it. So how did you put the handles, and how how did you make the handles perfectly symmetrical?
2: So do you think, and by the way, you know a lot more about this than me, but do you think it is like the most? Because again, the one I said, the water erosion on the Sphinx is the one that gets me that I've mm-hmm. never heard a, a good rebuttal to. Because it's no clearly good it's clearly water erosion. It's not just water; it's thousands of years of rainfall. Right, and if you and they know that it, there wasn't rainfall in that period from like. 10,000 years or yes. something like that, right? So, do you think it's that the most plausible explanation is that all of this stuff is not the time period that we put ancient Egypt, it's many, many years before that and there must have been we must have been at some type of peak of technological advancement that is a different type of peak than we've arrived at today. We don't really understand what that is and then all of that kind of that collapsed. And what we think of as ancient Egypt is just kind of like what was left after that, and basically people just walked
0: into these things that they had already been built. Yes, is that like the most reasonable? Yeah, it's the most thing? reasonable, and it's also the most reasonable when you consider what they did to the pyramid, because the pyramid, the Great Pyramid, <clears throat> the Great Pyramid was covered with smooth limestone. And they looted it to create Cairo. So the same knuckleheads that existed after the pyramids were built were so stupid. They they took chunks of the pyramid off to build like fucking shitty houses. That was the that, so that was your uh, you had the whole bit about that. It's like yeah. the same guy who built it is like is <laughs> uh, t-
2: the guy with like, the dog on a canoe type yeah. thing. You're like you're like I think that was the dummy who did that one. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, think, I think dudes
0: that, just showed up and they just they showed up for payday and the smart people were all dead. That was my joke. Was that weird? the, idiot stone, the yeah. children of the idiot stone workers of Egypt. But I think it's the Younger Dryas impact theory. I think that's the most plausible. And that's because there's physical evidence of it. And that's something that Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock have talked about extensively. And then there's this whole group of uh, actual scientists that are studying this impact theory because they have physical evidence of in the core samples of iridium at high levels at 11,800 years ago. And that's when they think it probably wiped out Most of civilization, and that's also probably one of the reasons why, if you go way back in civilization, is five thousand, six thousand years ago, people were barbaric, because those are the people that survived. So now go six thousand years before that, where there's no history, there's nothing, like. Ancient Sumer, right? That's 6,000 years ago, Mesopotamia. Like th- th- That's, where that's we, about as
2: far back as we
0: That's what we, we used go. to believe. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Before Gobekli Tepe, we used to believe that was the origin of a sophisticated civilization that was capable of writing. Mm-hmm. It was capable of mathematics. It had uh, some general understanding, at least of our solar system, in terms of like they had charted the not just the sun, but all the planets in the proper order. They don't know why they did it or how they did that. But that is 6,000 years ago. And until recently, it was pretty widely believed that that was the origins of civilization. Then when they found Gobekli Tepe, which is for sure carbon dated to have been covered up, meaning someone either conquered it or someone decided, fuck, these people we're going to cover it. And they did that intentionally 11,600 years ago. So they know that at least 11,000 years ago, people were building these massive, stone structures right. with so it's 3D not... carving, super complicated 3D carving where the, the animal was carved out of the stone and the rest of the stone remained, not carved into the stone. So like, it's not like
2: the old story of like, oh, we were basically like hunter-gatherers until the ancient Sumerian society right. came along. It's like, no, 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 something no. much more than that was going on.
0: And they think that the 11,600 years ago thing was still thousands of years after people were building the pyramids. The, the people that are putting like the oldest date on the pyramids, like John Anthony West, who is this uh, renegade Egyptologist that had this fantastic series called Magical Egypt. And this guy had this, unbel- his life's work was studying Egypt and studying the history of Egypt. And one of the more amazing things is that Egypt has a, a written history in the hieroglyphs that go back 30,000 plus years but archaeologists conveniently dismiss that as myth, and they say that no, 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 it's like 2,500 BC, and that's where it all emerges. But the problem with that is, there's why would they lie about that? Like, just this is just so that you can put your timestamp where you think it should be, and this is what you've been teaching in lectures, you've been teaching in books. Well, that might be that might be part of the the motivations too, is if
2: you. You know, if you're the one who's been teaching this for a long time or if you're the one who even maybe discovered something and that's kind of what Mm -hmm. you hang your hat on for someone to discover that you've been teaching the wrong thing the whole time and you're wrong about all of that. I'm sure you're going to counter some resistance. That's kind of true in almost any um, in any field. If you're coming in and going, hey, you guys all have it wrong, right. this is right, you're going to get a lot of resistance from people who are being like, no, my whole identity is that I'm right about this. Yeah. So you don't get to just take that all away from me and now I got to go back and be like, all right, that thing I've been teaching, all, forget all of that. Let's move on to this. What
0: has been taken away from them for the most part in a lot of instances, and the Gobekli Tepe one is where they're the most ridiculous because they want to believe that hunter-gatherers built these structures. Yeah, that's Uh, that's, yeah, that's tough to believe. It's insane. These things are. You've seen Gobekli Tepe? Yeah, it's fucking huge, and it's only one of many of these megalithic structures that they found that are still buried. They've only uncovered that you know when they use ground penetrating lidar, I think they've, I think they've uncovered five percent of it, and it's fucking insanely impressive. So someone was doing something really wild at a time where we thought people were using stone tools to hunt, you know, deer and shit. And perhaps they were in parts of the they world. They definitely were. They doing it I mean. right now. Yeah, That's right, the thing we have right. to understand. Like yeah. right now, there's indigenous people that live in the Amazon. There's people that live on North Sentinel Island. There's a lot of like very primitive tribes in terms of like the way we view ancient history. They live the way people lived a long fucking time ago. And they coexist with people with iPhones. And yeah. the idea that every, every single moment and era in history... There was an equal distribution of technology and information is ridiculous because it doesn't exist now. Yeah, well, It doesn't exist in the most ubiquitous time in terms of like the access to information and cell phone usage and fucking most people on earth have a cell phone. And yet still there's
2: primitive tribes. 100%. But even like we were talking about for a lot of this podcast, the Israel-Palestine thing. I mean, there's this huge divide versus the way those two live, this crazy power imbalance. And that's – by the way, I think that's why – Which maybe is unfair, but I think that's why I kind of like I hold I hold the powerful to a higher standard in a sense, because there is such this divide in power. That's why it's like it's more like, you know, blaming the U.S. Empire for all of these things. It's like because, you know, even when people would say like, oh, you put all of this blame on, you know, uh, um, with the Ukraine war, which, by the way, we're breaking up with now. Um, so, uh, which yeah. oh, I wanted to say something about that but that it's like well just because it's like well yeah after the collapse of the Soviet Union yeah. you know America's the sole superpower of the world so it's like you have so much more power than them like now's the time to not provoke them and pick a fight with them when they don't they're no threat to you you know what I mean yeah. I'm say, it's amazing that kind of like the power imbalance we have with all that the United States of America literally if we decided to and, and we haven't for now and that's very good but we could disappear an entire country. Yeah. If we wanted to, with the snap of a finger, we can just make you disappear. And then the other things that we will use, we can overthrow your government, we can ma- mass and there bomb
0: you. are countries that are completely helpless simultaneously, Yeah, that's that exist right. at the same time. Yeah. It only, it kind of only makes sense that Egypt was the most advanced, because Egypt was in Africa, and Africa is where humans literally came from. Right. The idea that the, the only humans that advanced were the ones that left Africa. That was the idea that everybody had, that the humans left Africa and then they founded Europe. Right. But no, it appears that that was the most sophisticated society ever. And what we are is a rebuilding of human society many, 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 many thousands of years later. Many thousands of years later, after people had already achieved a level of sophistication beyond where we're at now, but through totally different methods. Right, right, that right. We haven't We haven't even invented yet. We've gotten so far along um, the combustion engine, petrochemical products, electronics. We've gotten so far down that road that we think it's the only technological path. And it's not necessarily. Right, definitely not. If these fucking, these people that made that temple made rivers of mercury back then and that's only, we know that's 2,200 years ago like what the fuck did they do before the impact like what how how sophisticated was society 20,000 years ago because we want to think it's not sophisticated at all but what John Anthony West West thinks is that the reason why the Sphinx was facing a very particular way he says I think it's 35,000 years ago 34,000 years ago that was facing the constellation Leo so he thinks that if you look at the thousands of years of rainfall that they believe is responsible for the fissures on the side walls, like how many thousands? Like how many? Could it be 20? And if it if, if, are they telling the truth about it? Is it? Is it really a 34,000 year old structure that that indicates that 34,000 years ago, people had achieved this insane level of sophistication because they keep pushing back further and further and further the original age of a human being like the original homo sapiens it keeps going it used to be 50,000 years now it's like hundreds of thousands of years like what happened yeah what happened Well, I do you think about cuz it's really interesting the way you say it i don't know you think about like um
2: like the butterfly effect Yeah. that idea which i don't even know the, like if i completely well, that's horseshit. If, if, yeah, yeah it's
0: but fucking wind patterns Really? <laughs> weather <laughs> oh, nobody like the idea of Lose. But yeah, the idea, the, idea of the wings of a butterfly can cause a fucking right, hurricane. Right, 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 yeah. But there is certainly some
2: truth to the fact that if you like re- rewinding the tape and like starting and playing it, there are different decisions that like one crucial decision could send your life in a whole different path or something yes. like that, right? So like the idea that if we were like kind of running th- this whole start from scratch again, yes. it's not at all – a given that we end up in even a similar place at the end of that and you think about like the process of time Like I love this I used to talk about this in your act a bunch too Which I always thought was a really I- interesting way to look at it Like when you talk about uh where you had the bit where it was like 300 years. Yeah, that's three people Yeah, like, it could be it's the three length of 300. Yeah, that's you know what I mean? Ago. Like but that's really not that crazy This country is founded three people ago, right? And yeah. that's a really interesting way to look at it where if you just go like it's like, you know um, If you want to go, you know hundred fifty years ago, like the oldest person i know is is ninety nine um so like me plus her is almost a hundred fifty years ago. Yeah. you know what I mean Nothing. like that's not that's yeah. not much, and if you think about say that's pre civil war every right right <laughs> so you're going back now to a time almost what well, well right, just shy just shy uh but you but okay, but it's pre or just about pre Industrial Revolution yes. right around that time basically yeah. is that the Industrial Revolution is basically me and the oldest person I know nice. ago and that's everything what we talk yep. about with our you know modern technology today That's the whole basis of it right there Sure. like before then it's night and day difference to the way Civilizations like, and that's it just that little bit of time, time to that took us from you know literally like we're we're a, a, An agricultural society to the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. You know what I mean in this little blip little blip of time It's
0: wild yeah. It's wild that it's not stopping. We're in the center of it, so it seems stable, but it's it's accelerating at a fucking super bizarre pace. A super bizarre pace. Yes. It's just impossible for us to see it totally, like all the innovation that's happening simultaneously. It's like the whole thing is wild, and we're experiencing it from an individual perspective. We're looking out at our eyes and getting a map of the world based on our neighborhood and where we go and the things we do and the, the media we consume – but what's really happening is if you could see all the babies that were born at this, if, you could see, if there was a giant screen where you could see every baby coming out of a person every time it happened, it would just be like, what? <laughs> just a life pouring into this dimension. And if you could look at all the innovation that was happening simultaneously yep. on some sort of a chart, it would be, wah! It would be just babies and technology. Yeah. Flooding our dimension, babies in technology that's what's really going on, and all this other stuff, like the fighting for resources is all an aspect of this constant movement towards new life and innovating technology yeah
2: and well, and and like you were saying, like we're kind of it's it's a uh, te- technology is we're in this period where it's like in exponential growth mm-hmm. and so it's like we're just starting to kind of get like a little bit of a a vision of what that's going to look like.
0: Flashes every time a baby is born in that country.
3: <laughs> it's 100 since I've been on it. Just
0: yeah. Second. The babies are just constantly coming out.
2: Yeah. That is crazy. That is every
0: second, literally. babies are coming out. It's all of them. 150 in
3: like two seconds. Yeah.
0: <laughs> bam. They're just flooding out. Yep. It's just a, a dimensional portal where life is coming through vaginas into our yeah. dimension. Just yeah. whoa. Uh, and that's all it, everybody wants feel, to do is uh, fuck. Everybody wants to fuck everybody wants to make more babies. Let's... Didn't you feel like
2: a, I, I remember feeling this way when I like, first had kids. Because um, I got little kids. You have know, older kids than me. But I'm, I've been... My oldest is like about to turn five. Um, but I remember when the first time we had a baby, when I first got my wife pregnant, and then when she had the baby and stuff, Like really feeling this weird... Um, this connection to just the fact that like I am an animal. You know what I mean? Like, right. you're like, I animal am an animal, life. and this is what I'm here to do. That mm. Like, everything's kind of been working toward this, and this was, like, the point of it all. Well, you're- it certainly
0: rewires your brain. Oh, yeah, for it, sure. It, it rewires your brain and makes your brain concentrate on that above all and in a, in a strange way. It's like a shit. And you, Louis C.K. said it best once. He said you just got to let it change you. I'm yeah. like, that's a very good way to put it. Because that's kind of what you got to just really just let it change you. You can't resist it. The guys, you know, you resist it. It's like, oof. But it is it is a part of this biological superorganism. That's the human race. And it's capable of amazing things. But there's a constant battle. And this constant battle, you can call it good and evil. And that's the simplistic way to, to, to look at it. But there's forces that are moving. And these forces are required in order for things to progress. The, even, like, even the forces of evil are required for someone to develop a system that combats evil, that's more efficient, and then yeah. enforce the idea that society should not be evil. We have seen the negative aspects of evil. We choose to never be evil. I mean, this was the you know, obviously there was a lot of flaws in the Founding Fathers, like we discussed, but that was their idea. We're gonna do something better. We're gonna do something. We all believe that we wanna be free. Everyone wants to be free, that's why we're here. Let's set this up to keep it as free as possible from tyranny. And then let's resist any and all efforts to change that. And yeah. that's what the like, heavy duty constitutionalists feel. Like They're like, listen, there's a reason why they set it up this way. Uh, and, and, because there's right. natural human impulses to control things. And, yes. and you know that's what everybody was terrified about with Trump. They're like, he's a dictator. He's going to get in the office. He's going to fucking ruin the Constitution and throw everyone in jail. And none of those things happen. No, they
2: they literally just saying the other day. I literally just heard on MSNBC the other day. They were just sitting there going, you know, if Donald Trump wins this time, he is going to start prosecuting his political enemies. Yeah, they're going to like,
0: execute people. But you're like, <laughs> But you're literally doing that to him right now. Right now. So what are you talking yeah, about? Over some oh. f- fucking fugazi price gouging scheme oh, i did
2: this is what i wanted to say before by the way i forgot so uh was this, i don't know i found this kind of rewarding but uh so joe scarborough who hosts uh morning joe on on msnbc it's one of their biggest shows uh so it might get like a tenth of the listens of this show or something they're big they're one of their big boys um and uh he called me out after the last time i was on here as being a pro-putin uh propagandist <laughs>
0: Oh well, um, those because... pejoratives are always really effective. <laughs>
2: yeah. And then he said something about how I uh you know, I blamed America for um for nine eleven. Did you? Um, that, How dare you? Yeah. Was, he said, I uh, didn't even know that. Like, Get out of here. And so he said, he said uh, <laughs> Well, this is my final show here, guys. Uh, <laughs> we, had, we had a good run. Um, no, but I, was, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he took issue with me saying that, you know, Osama bin Laden had, had legitimate grievances and he took issue with me saying we should negotiate an end to the war in Iraq. And I did, I responded to him and I, was, I said, Well, look, if we can't agree that, you know, Osama bin Laden was, you know, had some legitimate grievances with our our foreign policy, can we at least agree that it was a bad idea for your wife's dad to bankroll him? Um, So that probably didn't go over too well because he is, his wife is Mika Brzezinski and her dad was the big new Brzezinski who was the guy who came up with the strategy to uh, lure the Soviet Union into Afghanistan by funding uh, the Mujahideen, Osama bin Laden. So he literally, his wife's dad bankrolled Osama bin Laden, but he's very morally outraged at me because I said he might have some legitimate grievances. Anyway, I did. I will. Is that, uh, this is all. I'm building that up. the end of the conversation, I'm building up toward a compliment for uh, Scarlett. Okay. Yeah, he didn't respond to that one. Uh, we, we tweeted back and forth a few times, but that was the fi- that was the final one. Um, but. uh So but he did. uh, I'll I'll compliment him because I saw uh, just yesterday he said that we need to think about cutting funding for Ukraine and encouraging Zelensky to negotiate with Putin because now you're allowed to say that. It doesn't make you a Putin supporter anymore to say that. Right. So finally, after like uh, two years of getting called all those names, it's just like all the stuff with COVID, like just one day, you're allowed to talk about lab leak now. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, we all believe that. Oh, masks oh, don't work. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know we, I ruined your life because you said that last week, but now nah, it's totally cool to say that. We all agree with that now, but it's literally, and it is no coincidence that as soon as this war in Israel like popped off, uh, there's just immediately, it was, it was almost perfect timing. There was this Time Magazine piece. Um, that came out. And it was the same author, I'm blanking on his name, but it was the same guy who wrote the, the man of the year or person of the year, they call it now, They gave Zelensky the person of the year. And this guy wrote that article. And so I'd imagine he got like some access to Zelensky's top people uh, from that. And so now he just wrote another piece just a couple weeks ago that was just a devastating takedown of Zelensky. And it basically was all of his top guys being like, this guy has lost it and he's and, and that the uh, the military are actively refusing orders oh god because he's basically like telling them to go like get out there and they're just like we're going to get slaughtered we're not doing it oh anymore and so it's basically i i mean i'm just saying it's exactly what what i was saying uh, on the last several times I've been on here. And I'm not like trying to take the credit for it. It's just I read smart people who say this stuff and I recognize that they're correct. But it's like what really great guys like what Scott Horton and all the guys at the the at antiwar.com and what Ron Paul and what like all the people who have been like so great on the John Miersheimer has just been incredible uh throughout this this whole thing, nailing every time but that all the, the US do, saying we're gonna give you this blank check to fight this war and then going out of our way to break up active peace negotiations when they were happening. We'll we'll give you a blank check to fund this war. All it did was just ensure that more people, particularly Ukrainians, were going to get slaughtered this war that could have been negotiated away at the very beginning. And then, you know, ironically, all the same people who support this, you know, the the Narrative the whole time was like uh, Putin's a war criminal and he's violating international law and you can't get land by war You can't we can't negotiate with him because then we would be letting him acquire this land by war and then the next day They're like and we have to support Israel who got the whole country by war and By the way, I'm not like saying because sometimes people uh, have said this to me before like they'll be like oh, so are you saying we should give all the land back to the Native Americans then or something like that. But no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying Israel should give all of Israel back. Like, there's people there now and you're not going to do the same thing to them that they did to other people. You know what I mean? But if you're saying, should we give the Native Americans the land back? Well, like, no, that's not going to happen. But should we make sure that the ones who are still here are free and their natural rights are protected like yeah definitely so that's all i'm saying about that but anyway they were outraged about putin taking this this land by war look this thing like just the practicality of it he's going to end up keeping some of that territory and that's that ukraine doesn't have the strength to take it back from him. so
0: well particularly if we cut them off yeah when you see Zelensky asking for credit you're like oh, god. oh my god,
2: that was that was drug addict vibes, wasn't it? God. He was like scratching his neck and shit. <laughs> it was just kind of like credit, please. I have an old boat I can sell you. I don't Something know if you know this
0: about me, Dave Smith? <laughs> but I like weapons.
2: <laughs> Dude it's just so oh man, is that and that whole thing just unraveling. And you know the problem like with so much of this stuff about. Like even like what I was saying with Israel Palestine and all that it's like look man If you just want to understand what's going on if you want to solve a problem You got to at least just like look at what's really happening here, right? They said that's the first step right to solving a problem is recognizing you have one Yeah, um and it's this whole time the 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 issue with the the war propaganda Is that then you never solve it because you're just looking at something that like if you just say Osama bin Laden hates us because we're free Well, what are we gonna do stop being free? So the the only answer here is go to war, something like that, you know. But if you understand that, like, oh, there's also like, Osama bin Laden attacked us for being free. Well, why didn't he attack Sweden for being free or Denmark for being free? You know, right. was Al Qaeda really happy in 2020 because they were like, ah, oh, look, they're locked down, they don't have so much of that freedom that we hate so much,
0: <laughs> right? Like that doesn't make any sense. Well, these it's simplistic like, narratives, like the you know the Putin's a war criminal, that's that, and this is it. You can't do that, and that we have to yeah. support Ukraine. Without any understanding of how it got to be that yes. way in the first place, that you described the the coup of two thousand fourteen yep. and then NATO moving arms closer and closer and the red line that Putin had said established, uh, yeah, long yeah. ago, which was well. And if you guys uh, didn't listen to me the
2: last couple times I've been on here, I talked a whole lot about all that stuff. Yeah, but uh, and also just the fact that it's, and look, I by the way, I'll also say I do think Putin's a war criminal and like so, I'm not denying yeah. that. But the way we would paint. Ukraine as this bastion of democracy was just ridiculous. Well, did you ever see
0: the Candace Owens thing? It was amazing. What did
2: she What did she say? New York
0: Times tweets at Candace Owens because Candace Owens says that Ukraine is corrupt, and they say to her, "What evidence do you have that New York Times <laughs> is corrupt?" And she says, "Oh, evidence from your fucking newspaper." And she quotes all these articles. Yeah, she posts all these articles from like 2017. Yeah, they were talking about how in the New York Times how corrupt Ukraine is. Right, because before, um,
2: before Vladimir Putin invaded, that lie hadn't even been told yet. Nobody was saying that Ukraine was a bastion of democracy. It was known as the most corrupt country in Europe. The idea that that would even be, especially for the New York Times, that that would even be at all
0: a controversial view. It's young kids that yeah. are working there. That are activists essentially, yeah. Well, and they're they're fresh out of university. They're they're doing their journalism, and they don't have an understanding of the history. Well, a lot but they of know a lot of the adults, ideological narratives.
2: A lot of the adults go along with it too. Um, that you know what I mean, because there does become this. Uh, the, it's like this narrative that gets created. Um, one of the things I remember uh, um, Scott Horton talked about this. I think in one of his speeches, or it might have been in one of his debates. But he was talking about how in 1996. There was, uh, I think it was on CBS, they got like an interview with Osama bin Laden and he was already, you know, like they had, they were running Al Qaeda and they had pulled off some small scale terrorist attacks. I think this was the African embassy bombing had happened then and stuff. And, and they were asking and they, he said they just like reported it as a matter of fact. Like it was just like, well, they hate us for our military presence in the Middle East, you know? Yeah, back to back to weather or whatever like that was just a fact and that it wasn't until later that the lie got told that it's oh They hate us for our freedom and so with that stuff No, there were there were uh, the New York Times was reporting on the Nazi presence in Ukraine Like yeah. that was a no that was a known thing there were nobody was disputing this but it was inconvenient in t- Yes until after this yeah. and then you got to go at this country that like he banned uh, all the competing opposition parties to him he said they're probably not going to hold elections he nationalized the state media he's you know he's drafting people to fight in this war it's like no come on this isn't anything that is representing like this perfectly free country um and whatever it's it's just uh we would be way better off if we had never pro- provoked the thing to begin with and never just decided to fund it for these years and if you don't if you don't like look at that or or grapple with that then yeah you're like well this is perfect democracy versus evil war criminal, so we have to just fund them forever and all that does is get tens of thousands of more people
0: killed the problem is to figure all this stuff out you need alternative media you yep. are never gonna hear all this stuff laid out the way you just laid it out and f- people are gonna fact check it and they're gonna find out you're right and it's an eye-opener yeah because and you're like well what what is wrong with the world that we're living in where we're never getting these straight narratives? We're always getting this very distorted, one-sided take, whether it's from the right or the left, on what's going on.
2: But that's what that – I'll tell you, that's what I'm so, like, encouraged by because, like, I remember – I mean, I was, I was younger, but I was an adult when uh, we – the war propaganda for the war in Iraq was being laid. I mean, I, I was a young adult. I think I was, like – I was – I guess 2003 was the start of the war. So I think I was 20. Yeah, I was 20 in 2003. Um, So the, the year before it, 2002, which the whole year was a propaganda campaign to fight the war in Iraq. And I was, I was 19. I'm old enough. I remember it quite well. Um, And it was, look, the, the whole thing was just dominant. It was like, look, he's got weapons of mass destruction, and he was on, in, he planned 9 11 with Osama bin Laden. He's friends with Al Qaeda, and he has this weapon that you like, he, and he could pass it off to Al Qaeda at any point. And then they drop a nuke on Kansas. And if you don't believe this, you're some type of anti American queer, you know, who hates <laughs> this country or something like that. Like, we all know this is true, and everybody, and we just did not have anything like you. Back then there was no show that was like way bigger than anything in the corporate media that would have anybody on who was like breaking down how all of this is lies. This is none of this is true. And we're going down a horrible path right now. And like today, we we not only it's not like we just have you like you're the biggest, but there's you you and Tucker Carlson and then like on the other level like so many shows that are like just do, like really letting the other side get out there i mean i was literally just listening the other day to uh uh breaking points with a uh, uh, cigar and, and crystal and i mean the discussion they're having on on the war is just so many light years more like Nuanced. thoughtful and nuanced than anything you're, you're yeah. seeing on Fox News or yeah. MSNBC or something like that. And there's so many shows like that now. You know, like there's this weird thing in the, you know, I'm sure this happens to you all the time, where you'll like discover a show that you never heard of before, mm-hmm. and you almost like look at like the view count on it, and you're like, oh, I never heard about these guys. What do they have? And it's like 700,000 views. Like, wow, oh, there's a pretty big show. Yes. You know what I mean? like, I had never even heard of these guys. There's so many shows yeah. at that level that people don't even, and so. I, and this is recent. Very very recent right. like this to to give a perspective of how recent it is This okay, nothing like this existed when Barack Obama was running for president, right? Not on this level. No um, When Donald Trump was running in 2016 still not even close to what it is now there were a few of them But there weren't like this many 2020 there there were some so we've been through like one Presidential election cycle with actually having this and even this is a totally new dynamic where There's just so many more people. Now there's so many more presidential candidates who are like coming on these podcasts. Like you've had RFK on. RFK's on my podcast. I've had Vivek Ramaswamy on like three times. Like these guys are now realizing that they got to get you know what I mean to like get in front no, of audiences. That's, they that's need this. That's the real this.
0: mainstream now. Yeah. Like when you're saying a video has seven hundred thousand views, you know what's on CNN. CNN yeah. d- d- struggles to get anywhere near that.
2: Michael Malice convinced me to stop using the term mainstream media. Yeah. And I think he's absolutely right because he was like, they're not the mainstream anymore. It's corporate-controlled it media. Corporate media. Like corporate that's called co- call them what they are. It's they're corporate the corporate media. press. You yeah. know. And this is, but no, it's ridiculous to suggest that again, like that somehow, like. Ah, uh, Brian Stelter is the mainstream, and you are the alternative. <laughs> uh, like that just doesn't make sense anymore. Well,
0: they thought that the case just a few years ago. they yep. They really didn't understand. Yeah, they didn't understand the landscape.
2: yeah, well, it's pretty. and and you know, there comes with ah uh, because they've they've had such control, like with all monopolies, there's this naturally growing like atrophy. Well, because mm-hmm. you don't really have to Try win people over, right. you know what I mean. Like you just don't develop these skills, and then they almost just didn't. They didn't have the skill to ever adjust to this changing landscape.
0: They can't because of the format. Yeah, the format won't allow them. Also, they can't speak freely because yeah. they they they'll lose advertisers, especially if they do anything that's against either uh, the. Corporate control like whatever whatever is funding these organizations and we know a large part of it is pharmaceutical drug companies a large part of it is Food companies that are advertising shit. That's fucking terrible for you. That's like weapons companies. So many different things and you're not going to change that. You're not going to change the the structure where they do it, where they have a commercial every seven minutes. So no conversation ever, ever gets in depth. Everything is set up for people that have short attention spans because they thought that that's what people had.
2: Well, I mean, again, like I mentioned earlier when I was uh, when I was bringing up this uh, this awesome uh, Daryl Cooper like series of podcasts, it is, It's like 20 hours long and you need yeah. like even in a even in a Podcasts like this like I can do no justice to telling the entire history of this story You need so much time, but the idea that you would ever Be like I mean, I've literally seen segments like I the debate I mentioned that I did the other day I think we went like two hours or something like that. It's like a reasonable amount of time Okay You can get into some stuff in that but I've seen they'll do panels on the war in Israel versus Gaza that are seven minutes long Yeah with that time being split between three two people. people and a moderator, yeah, yelling three at each other. And like, how? So it just reduces everything down to like, who can get the better sound bite off
0: yes. in a second? Exactly. And, then, and and like, what is this? There's no exactly. way for adults to communicate. Yeah. Dave Smith, you're a national treasure. I always appreciate you coming on here and freaking everybody out. Well, thank you, dude. You, I, you I put things into perspective. It's it's incredible how much information you've stored in your fucking head about all this stuff, but.
2: Well, I, like I said, it's, uh, I just, honestly, I've just read a lot of the right people, and I'm very lucky that I found like Ron Paul and the, the Mises Institute, M-I-S-E-S dot org, and antiwar dot com, my guys over there, Scott Horton being the, the leader over there. And so I literally, I'm very lucky I found a lot of people who do a lot of really great research and made a lot of really great arguments, and I'm not bad at, at remembering it and stuff. And I'm, I'm like the, you know, I'm like the, the smartest dumb guy or the dumbest smart guy or something where I'm like just smart enough to, to kind of get it yeah. and then I'm I'm still one of you so I can come back and explain it you know what I mean yeah. in a good way that kind of makes sense but uh, dude I mean like I'm so grateful for everything you've done for me and that I get to come on here all the time and tell, talk about this stuff because I do think it's really important and uh, so I'm very grateful to you I'm very grateful for you too appreciate you
0: alright bye everybody bye everybody